Everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a podcast that we just started recording, and definitely there's not a hour and forty five minute home. I'm home. I'm looking here, and it says we've been recording for twenty one hours and forty two minutes. I guess people oh, will have to listen. I'm to so the tired. <laughs> I'm so thirsty. <laughs> we've Please taken help so me. many body breaks. <laughs> now, one of them was twenty hours long, but. <laughs> In the background is just your child crying because you've been doing a 20-hour podcast. Well, that was the 20-hour body break. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. And I'm joined, not as always, by Connor. Hey, what's up, everyone? You, you he, may... never, he never says his name. He never says his name. Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> It's a little redundant because it was you already said it, but uh, yeah, my name my name is Connor. You might recognize his vocal stylings from podcasts such as Pondering Putan or uh, Ghost Divers. Pondering Putan, Mathaji Shirotaro, and Hachimitsu Boy. Yes, uh, forgive me. That's really um, important. Or from his many famous viral tweets and TikToks. Yeah. Um, and Ghost Divers, which I think you mentioned, but I talked over you. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I said Ghost Divers, you were like, how you mean why? That's exactly what you said. <laughs> um, it's not like it's it was been 20 hours or anything. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you've never listened to this podcast before, the, the sort of typical format to this is that Nia and I, we chat for a little bit, then we go through a little spreadsheet where we talk about other movies we've watched this week, and then we talk about our main movie. Of the three of us, none of us have watched a movie this week. And yeah. so we're, we just did an hour and 45 minutes of of post-credits scenes. Because yeah. normally we chat for a little bit, and then we start the podcast, and that goes at the end, and it's called the Non-Homophobia Zone. And like often it's like a half hour. But, 45 minutes even. Yeah. This time it's an hour and 40. <laughs> and we're just going to get right into Barry Lyndon, I think. Yeah, because um, I truly didn't watch. I mean, I was, I was like, I mean, we, we also recorded not too long ago. Yeah. Um, and I Is was it? in Michigan. 
sorry. I just what? I just had a thought. Um, mm. Is it at all amusing that the like episode where you have a straight cis person guest is the episode where the non homophobia <laughs> is tripled in, in length? <laughs> I don't know how good. to feel about that. That is, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, you were talking about Michigan. Well, yeah, I was in Michigan for uh, part of the the holidays and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we recorded somewhere like after Christmas. Yeah, we recorded like two days show. after Christmas. I want to say. Yeah. And... So it was like pretty soon after I went to Michigan. Um, after Christmas means it wasn't Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. Sometimes there's like time to like you know the kids go to sleep and we maybe watch a movie mm. before bed or whatever like as a family, um, things like that. But like everybody had just been sick and just COVID is like fucking out there right now. Yeah. So we had like a hotel that we went back to, but it was like it was like a nice suite where there was like some room to spread out and stuff. There's like a curtain that you could sort of draw to block off the beds mm. where like. Because one of the beds our kid was sleeping in. But it's like we couldn't put a movie on while we were yeah. even in the hotel, just Emily and me. Yeah. Because um, that's just going to be too much light and sound for, like, a kid sleeping in basically the same room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there was no, like, then just hanging out with, like, my family and then me being like, I'm going to put a movie on because otherwise nobody's going to decide on anything. Um, so I thought maybe I would watch some sort of movie when I was in Michigan, but I didn't. Mm. It just never you know, the circumstances were such that it was not yeah. in the cards. Um, so I, I have truly very little to talk about other than I talked about Final Fantasy VIII in the not homophobia zone. And I've, I've, you know, much like you, I've been gaming mode. We talked a lot about Baldur's Gate 3. I also played through all of Alan Wake. Um, played a little bit of Planescape Torment. Like, I've just been, I've been gaming mode. It's chill. I've been reading a lot, too. Been reading some Aragon, been reading some Elric, been reading some Drizzt, you know. Uh, I love my fantasy novels. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, unless, Connor, you had stuff you wanted to just briefly chat about, I think that brings us to uh, Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been watching movies. I've been game mode, um, mm-hmm. like you, Autumn. And I've been reading uh, Fate, Stay Night. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, it is. It's very exciting. I'm I'm enjoying it considerably. Uh, how f- but... how far are you? Um, I just Saber just went to Liudo Temple. Okay, or whatever. So you have, so I have played some fate state night but not that much fate state night in the context of that is a very long visual novel but you are still in the part of the game that i have played so okay yeah, yeah. well i guess the parlance is to is to say play rather than read um, uh, yeah i no lots of people say read too i i think like m and kim my more visual novel minded friends generally say read okay um, so yeah this is the first visual novel i've ever played slash read um mm-hmm. And I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So, uh, I'm glad. Maybe that will be a discussion for another day, but not right now because we have very. I should I should get back to that on the Steam Deck. I bet the Steam Deck is a really good visual no- novel platform. You know. Yeah. 
It definitely I, would be. <clears throat> for yeah. sure. Um, I know Fate State Night is kind of weird to get. I don't know if it's weird to get running on the Steam Deck, but there's like weird stuff with trying to get Fate State Night running. R- real quick. <laughs> I just glanced over at the Wikipedia page for Barry Lyndon, which Nia has kindly pulled up for us. Um, and I just, my eyes grabbed one sentence completely at random on this page that reads, The production had problems related to logistics, weather, and politics. Parenthetically, Kubrick learned that he might, or Kubrick feared that he might be an IRA hostage target. (laughs) You can really feel that anxiety in the film. The IRA should have taken Stanley Kubrick hostage during the production of this movie. That would have been lit. It would have been a different fucking movie. Uh, yeah, or no movie. Yeah. Um. Well, second so, best outcome, he completed the movie, uh, and we were able to watch it. So that's yeah. I guess that's okay. Um. So, if people aren't familiar, this is a 1975 uh, Stanley Kubrick-directed movie. Um, This is fabulously expensive, and the money is on display on the screen. Um, uh, Kubrick is a perfectionist, and it really comes through with just, like, the, like, elaborate production design um, of of every shot in this film. Um, And it is the story of... Redmond Barry, a, um, you know, Irishman at sort of the bottom of society, just born a poor dirt farmer in love with his fucking cousin. (laughs) 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 Um, Uh (laughs) and you know, we, we see his various escapades through life as he climbs to the top of society. He becomes married to a, a wealthy, uh, Viscount, um, of England, you know, um, he like ascends to the top of the Prussian military and then, you know, escapes to England and marries this wealthy lady and he's going to live his life out in luxury. And, oh no, the second half of the film is titled containing an account of the misfortunes and disasters, which befell Barry Lyndon. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what happens. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and so the back half of the film is about his strife in his marriage, his strife with his stepson, um, and how these things ultimately undo him, and he is brought back to being a poor dirt farmer by the end of the movie. <laughs> um, this movie is fucking excellent. He's brought back to being a poor dirt farmer by the end of the movie, but then there's a little tiny epilogue thing where title card comes up and basically says, uh, but then this happened a long time ago, so everybody's fucking dead and you're all equal when you're all yes. fucking in the dirt. Yeah, right. <laughs> basically. Yeah, you're, you're all just dirt now. You're not even yeah. dirt farmers anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are the dirt that is farmed. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice uplifting end to such a uh, life-affirming film. <laughs> um, so I just... The tone of this movie is a little hard, I think, to grapple with. But I think the three of us are probably all agreed, this is a comedy, right? Like, a tragic yeah, w- comedy, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. 
I stuff at the ending that. in particular veers towards like the there's some parts that are like a little going into the black comedy when like his son dies, but a lot of that is like far more just a tragedy happens. Oh yeah, the the part yeah. where his son dies is just legit sad, I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um the the extended uh in bed and them like crying while being like you're going to make it through uh does like touch a little bit into black comedy, but I think for me I, that mm. there there's also an element of black comedy in the like so patterns are established mm-hmm. in, in like the film itself, such as like with the narration um, where like oftentimes the narrator is like, uh, it, it will be like a moment of heightened drama in the plot, like a, a moment where something is like you're anticipating something is about to happen. And then, then like before that is actually shown to you, the narrator will come in and just be like, Oh yeah, here's what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that, like, so there's a way of, like, preempting and uh, deflating, like, Yeah, the, deflating the is, a good, is a good word for it. Yeah, yeah like, th- through, like, just basically spoilers. Yeah. And <laughs> once that plot, once that device is, like, established, then you can kind of see it, even when it's not being done through the narration, which is, like, the primary vehicle... And the whole thing with, like, his son dying. I feel like there even is a part where the narrator briefly chimes in and is like, uh, you know, uh, but of course, like, Barry Lyndon was was destined to, like, die alone and childless without, like, like, any offspring to, like, continue on his line or whatever. Yeah, it's like, oh, he loved his son so much, but, like, his son's gonna die. And then it's like, oh, like, dad, can you buy me a horse? Yeah, yeah. Even if there was not the alone and childless line, the moment that child says, "Dad, I want a horse," you're like, "That kid's dying." Yeah, (laughs) that kid is gonna get thrown off the horse and die, and then like that's exactly what happens. And there is like a there is definitely a black comedy element to the to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that's where it comes through most strongly for me. Um. When when I was like scrolling through to see if I could find any more about uh, Kubrick in the IRA, um, I did see a thing that was like thematic analysis at the bottom that was like talking about uh, you know fate and destiny and the impossibility of uh, facing one's fate. And there's obviously stuff that's like tied into this. Like mm-hmm. some of this comedic device is going into it. Uh, there is the way that like it ends with a duel and it begins with a duel of his father dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the way that dueling figures throughout. There's a lot of ways in which, like, he's just kind of pushed by the currents of everything that's happening. Mm. And the duel is but decided also, by my man cost. has everything set up for him, and all he has to do is fuck his incredibly hot wife, and he fucks it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a part where he... And then he's like, I know how to solve this thing where what I need to do is fuck my incredibly hot wife. I'm going to repeatedly beat my stepson so he will hate me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think he does have a, but this is the biggest thing for me watching it, which I think I felt a little bit like the first time that I watched it, but that was like in, in high school or, you know, maybe undergrad. I forget exactly when it was, but I know, years ago. I know it was DVD <laughs> because there are parts where I was commenting on matte painting. And it was just cause like the last time I watched this was a quality where you cannot distinguish background from matte painting. Um, 
And here I was just like aware of like the craft of when they had matte paintings, mm-hmm. which was usually any time it was more than like a brief shot of someone riding through a field, mm-hmm. because of course Kubrick's gonna have to like reshoot that fucking eighty times. Yeah, because he's, he's Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Um. But anyway, um, especially going through this time, like on around the long fire, we're currently in the middle of uh the Nibelungen lead, and there's a way that this feels kind of legendary. In that, like, everyone's kind of pushed along by fates, mm-hmm. um, but also is, like, extremely just doing shit that's fucking up their own lives. Yes. Uh, is making lots of unforced errors. There are times where, like, Hagen in the Nibelungen lead is being pushed by the whims of fate. There's also times where it's just, like, you don't have to be such an asshole to her, my dude. Like, yeah. you you could avert this by not doing that. Um, and there's also moments where, like, he becomes so, um, like, he, he sense, he knows that things are faded because he gets, like, a prophecy or whatever. And so he's like, well, since none of us are coming back alive, I'm going to destroy the boat that would go back across the river so that everyone has to fate their, face their death here. And it's like, well, you just, you didn't have to do that part. Yeah, you just, <laughs> like, have to, yeah. you just fulfilled the prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, look, and he, there's also this part where he more unintentionally fulfills the prophecy where the chaplain's the only one who's supposed to escape alive. And he's like, I'm going to prove the fr- prophecy wrong by killing the chaplain. And the chaplain's like, fuck this, I'm out of here, and runs. And so, of course, he's not going to die. There's the, um, there's a lot of this movie where I feel like Barry is making his own fate, you know, yeah. creating his own destiny. But now that I'm thinking about it, and I'm also thinking about the black comedy stuff, because I just wanted to mention one of my favorite black comedy scenes is the bit early on where he's leaving Barryville, the small Irish town where he's from, and uh, Barrytown. He gets <laughs> homage to Steely Dan there. Yeah. He gets he gets held up by a, an older man and his son, and the the older man is like. Well, in my profession, you know, we have to take your horse. We have to be faster than you. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love the very professional, polite mugger. Yeah, that we're introduced uh, yeah. To. it's very important that we are uh, able to move more quickly than our our patrons, as your or, is his it clients or clients. Yeah, he says he calls clients. them clients, which yeah. is such a good. <laughs> well, and I mean that's a thing where you could do the faded because there's the part where there's like the meal that he declines, where it could be robbed, but then the guy just robs him anyway. Like, later mm. well yeah like, and then the like, appeal we, to necessity yeah. as well like yeah well yeah we have and, to take your horse because like you know we're, we're thieves we're robbing you like we have we don't have a choice because we have to do yeah you know escape and, and like blah, blah blah it's like kind of ran random happenstance and that random happenstance pushes him into the military but also he makes a lot of choices in the military that end land him where he is if he for example didn't desert and pretend to be an officer, perhaps he would not be kidnapped by the Prussian army and forced into servitude. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Perhaps if he stopped fucking lying constantly to everybody he met, no one would have noticed him. <laughs> yeah. I I do think that, like, this is one of the, uh, like, one of the core, uh, thematic like preoccupations of the of the film is like the uh fate versus choice or whatever mm-hmm. um because it's often appealing to like oh well barry linden has these like traits 
just because of like who he is, he like there's a um narr- a narration in the second half of the film where it's like yeah, the traits that allow like precipitated him gaining this fortune are the same traits that like make him unable to retain it. Yeah, I thought that was a really good line. Yeah. Uh a- absolutely. Uh and and I, I think that's like kind of um an access point, like a convenient summary, uh or one like summary of this idea that's like an access point where we could be like, oh, okay, yeah, like this is framing up uh this kind of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing that it uh g- going along with this idea, one of the uh devices in the film that was was really fascinating to me uh was this specific type of shot uh that is deployed where you have uh it starts with like a fairly close uh framing of like typically uh like multiple people uh and then there's a slow pan out the the fishing shot the the shot of him and his son fishing is the one that comes to my mind which i think is yes. just fucking incredible yeah yeah but i, mean, I love even... the dog in that scene cuz the oh, beginning yeah. you even the dog the very just like beginning, barks a little bit <laughs> you like get introduced to like his father dies in the duel and like everything is from afar you're seeing these really long like these really uh you know, wide shots, just mm-hmm. like far away. You can barely see the people where you like see the duel and there's some other explanations of things that happened. Um, and then the first time where you actually get like not a narrator, but like characters speaking, it's the like really zoom in on the like sculpture or whatever. That's like between yes. Barry and his cousin and it Nora. zooms out and you see them yes. and it like keeps zooming out to show you the entire I forgot room. about so, that. Yes. Shot. It's like that's the really first good. like shot that is not, um, like backstory basically. Yeah. And, and that that exact like type of shot is used over and over again. Like I didn't count, but I was att- I was noticing it from the beginning and it's used like at least 10 times. Uh almost the exact same. Um and to me in in thinking about it uh it it seemed kind of like a statement of uh the film's worldview in a way or, or what it's like, um, how it's working, uh, specifically you have like a close in view on these specific people. Um, so like Mm. Barry, Barry, for instance, uh, but then you're moving from like the highly specific to the more general. Mm -hmm. Um, so you start like zoomed in on, like this small, this dirt farmer in Ireland in mm-hmm. like 1780 or whatever the year is. Uh, but then like the life and experiences of this dirt farmer uh, begin to reveal like through, through this one, like very close detail of the world. Uh, like you, it slowly begins to reveal the conditions of society and of like the world itself. Uh- yeah, uh, like ascending to like these, uh, if you want to go there, ascending to these more like abstract uh, philosophical ideas about like oh conflict and like 
human conflict and, and what that is. Um, but there's a movement from like the, uh, the very like close in particular to the more general um, that is happening like over the course of the film um, where it's, I think communicating again and again, like subtly, uh, but still communicating like, Oh, look at this social conditions, right? Like mm-hmm. look at like Ireland as a, as a British colony um, and Barry's choices are like, in the first half of the movie, for instance, first, third, uh, are, like, influenced by that in ways that are totally unsaid, um, but are, like, depicted. Uh, and then you start thinking about, like, oh, okay, yeah, there's, like, colonialism. Uh, it's set during the Seven Years' War, which is, like, uh, largely uh, motivated by colonialism and colonial conflict. Um, the... the- <laughs> And so on. So we should circle back to at some point because I have another thought coming up from what you said. But we should circle back to how senseless the death in the Seven Years' War, as depicted in this movie, is. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's another black comedy element. Yeah, like the pitch battle, and then the like you get the pitch battle, and then there's a like fundamental seeming absurdity in that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then it like comes again. They they do it again, and the second time it's just like literally the dudes are just like marching while being shot at, like marching yes. to their death. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, also the the way that the the shots of like the war happens is also very clearly evoking what the duels are, where two men just stand and point guns at each other, mm-hmm. yep. and you either at the same time pull the trigger or you take turns, but like. You just stand there and you, like, get shot and shoot. And just hope that, like, they miss and you hit. Yeah. Um, and the, the way that the the war itself also just it is shot and, like, I think is very clearly meant to mirror what's happening with the duels as well. Where mm-hmm. it's just, like, this weird, stupid thing that these people are doing about, like, um, you know, demanding satisfaction or whatever well, because yeah. Barry... and it's either like it's either absurd or it's like faded yeah and like t- like t- this ties back i well, think and... into like this core tension where it's like yeah all this, and this conflict is why, like is i either, wanted to tie yeah. into the because there is that that uh you know going back a bit there is that um device where the narrator will come in and will say to you you know Oh, uh, Barry Lyndon was like destined to, to die without like a child to carry on his lineage. And then his son comes in and it's like, Papa, bite me a horse, Papa. <laughs> um, and it's like, this is also a thing that reminds me of like, especially like more Germanic or like Nordic saga stuff where like, this is from Nibelung and Lead. I'm just going to read this paragraph. Prouder warriors than the Burgundians never marched to any kingdom in greater splendor. They had all the weapons and gear they wanted. The lord of the Rhenish lands, as I learned, found clothes to wear at the festival for a thousand and sixty of his vassals, and for his squires to the number of nine thousand. But those whom they left behind lived to mourn it later. (laughs) And there's just, like, all these moments where, like, something will be happening, or I'll be like, all of the ladies were, like, so sad to see their soldiers leave to go on this journey. Of course, they would come to understand that, like, their tears were even more justified because everyone will come back dead. Or, like, no, or, you know, no one will come back because they're dead or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like, it, it tells you uh, so many times before you even get to, like, everything that's happening now, we're finally, finally, Krimhild's going to be getting revenge. You're in, like, the very beginning of it, and it's like, uh, but, you know, like, literally the first chapter is, here's Krimhild, we're being introduced to this character, and, oh, such things will go so badly that she's going to, like, basically kill everyone in this story. And it just tells you that in, like, chapter one. And Barry is such a perfect, like, mythic character in some ways. Yeah. Because his motivation is just wanting things that he cannot have. Yeah. And he starts at the, the bottom of society, and he ascends to the top, and, like, all through that, the thing that brings him up to the top of society is wanting things he cannot have. And the yeah. things that bring him from the top of society to the bottom is wanting things that he cannot have. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But especially a- me being in the midst of reading these sagas, too, there's a way where... Because uh, there's a way that, like, fate functions sometimes in myth. Mm-hmm. Where, especially when you think of, like, the, the Greco-Roman things, it's like the... Um, I, I learned the prophecy that is like, I'm going to kill my father and have sex with my mother. And so I'm going to do all of these things to try and make it so that that doesn't come true. But in fact, every single thing that I did was the thing that enabled it to come true mm-hmm. or whatever. Which is what Barry does early on with John Quinn. Yeah. You know? Uh, but I feel like Barry Lennon has a little bit less of this, like, you are the divine orchestrator of the of fulfilling your own prophecy. And it is sometimes more in this like Germanic Nordic mode of fate where fate is present and people are sometimes aware that things are destined, that there's an impossibility, but people often aren't even trying to really resist it. They're just like, well, God, it fucking sucks to just exist in like a faded existence. And they like choose to be depressed about it or to have a lot of bluster about it and just be like, uh-huh. well, I'm going to live it up while I can. And I'm going to like do all these. You told me that I'm going to die this way. And so that means I'm not going to die this way. So I'm just going to do this stupid shit because it's <laughs> not how I'm supposed to die. Well, so I can do it because you told me I was going to die this other way. Um, and, and, and I'm sorry, because I can tell that Connor, <laughs> yeah. you want to talk, but I'm going to no, no, keep good. talking. Okay. <laughs> the thing that makes Barry so good is that, like, he keeps wanting these things, and it's kind of just with the duels, for example. He hit his man, the other man didn't hit him. It's kind of just random chance, and he just ascends to the top of society by, like, all these 50-50 coin flips. Any of these duels could have gone the other way. Any of these card games that he's doing with Chevalier could have gone the other way. Like, he could have not been assigned to Chevalier, uh, and Chevalier couldn't have... might have not been an Irish guy, and then he wouldn't have ended back in Ireland. His sudden, like, impulse to, like give up the whole game and be like, I'm an Irishman, you know, I'm so excited to speak to another Irishman. Uh, that could have gone phenomenally horribly. And and he, so he's like a guy who like keeps flipping a coin and yeah. gets like heads 200 times in a row. And then he flips tails once and his entire life is undone. Yeah. And then he just keeps <laughs> flipping tails after that. Yes. <laughs> Every time he whips that stepson, he's like, he's flipping tails again. Yeah. You know? Um this movie's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, I think and it I think it ties into some of the stuff that we're talking about of like you start at like this micro level or this like personal level and it's moving yeah. out into this micro thing. Um 
because one of the things that I sometimes really enjoy about, like, you know, <coughs> sagas and the way that sagas talk about fate compared to this, like, very uh, intense, like, you're the orchestrator of your own fate and this, like, really elaborate, like, every single thing you do is, like, in fact, doing the opposite and, you know, that exists in, like, a lot of, you know, Greco-Roman myths, um, is that a lot of the the like Nordic or Germanic stuff to me <clears throat> feels far more what it is to just like exist under like a, a hegemonic <laughs> system where it's like, I can't change like what capitalism is right. Mm-hmm. Like Barry Lyndon can't change like the aristocracy and everything. Yeah. And there's ways that you can like end up playing his way through it. But like, there, there is an inevitability to, to the fact that I'm going to have to go to work. Yes. And like, yeah. it's not like fate in this like s- super huge cosmic thing. It's not, I'm doing the things that, uh, you know, trying to avoid work or that are actually coming around and like causing me to have to work. It's just like, I have to work and it fucking sucks. Hmm. You know, it, it sucks sometimes to just go to a job five days a week and you're like there's other stuff that i would actually like to do more with my life but the the society the world that i just live in is i have to do this and i think barry Lyndon more leans into that just like there's all these systems in the world that kind of suck and then also he's like moving through it in these uh-huh. uh weird happenstance way it makes me think of the line where because he definitely poisoned the 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 previous husband right like the 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 Lord Bullingdon's father or whatever. Oh, you think he poisoned him? I think so. Um, it's he does kind of die like here immediately when Barry <laughs> leaves. So, <laughs> but the the line where Barry says it, it's he who wins laughs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just like yeah, Barry's laughing his way to the top, and then he's not laughing no more. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the whole movie in microcosm, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a way that, like, to go back to your point, Neve, um, I think the the movie's playing with, like, these different um, ascriptions of fate um, so that you have, like, this cosmic or um, what, however you want to figure it, like, universal or deistic or whatever determinism. The, it's it, it's also related to this like the the wheel of fortune trope. Um, yeah, it's mm. it's very similar. Absolutely. Um, but then you also have this like uh, more materialistic or just like social uh, determinism, so to speak, where it's like okay, yeah, we're embedded in, in these. Uh, there's these social and political structures, and then you have like one individual. Um, embedded in them and like the field of possibility for your like social existence or, or whatever mm-hmm. um, is like limited. Uh, and well, how, I mean, how limited is it? Well, v- maybe very. <laughs> uh, and, and that's like Barry Lyndon's a great figure for this because it's like, Oh, here's this um, lucky or guileful or whatever you want to call him um, guy who is, appears to be uh, breaking the rules of the system and like Mm -hmm. uh, taking these, these shortcuts or like um, backdooring his way, cheating his way up the, the social ladder Mm -hmm. Um, and like doing this successfully, like breaking the system 
Um, so he's this guy who like defies the, uh, the, the faded <laughs> constraint of like systems of power and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you have like, I think there's a line of narration uh, where it's basically like, yeah, he might appear like Barry Lyndon was only able to do this because like in its own way, the things that he was doing at every juncture were like acceptable or desirable to those like to the aristocracy or those in power or whatever. And like, it makes me think of like, there's, there's the, the, the camera in this movie is so calm and so staid and so still yeah. at, at almost all moments. And there's two moments where it's like this chaotic handheld camera. It's the moment early on where he's boxing with the other soldier and, and it's the, the moment suicide attempt. Oh, I wasn't even, you're right. Yeah. The suicide attempt is one of them. I was thinking of when he's, uh, you know, beating yeah. his stepson in front yeah, of his, the whole. His stepson comes in with his son wearing yep. like the stepson's shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and he's just wailing on his stepson in front of the whole aristocracy. And because those are two moments where the camera is like whipping around and it's handheld, it's sort of like the aristocracy, uh, that, to your point, like, you know, they've let him do this because it's beneficial to them. Now, oh, we always knew he was just like that. That's who he is at his core. And the the these are the two moments of, like, chaotic camera is sort of, you know, meant to rhyme in a, in yeah. a sort of way, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, there's a lot of paralleling. And Neve called out the, the dual paralleling. Um, there's, like, paralleling between those three scenes. I think the way they're distributed throughout the movie is also, like... Uh, somewhat equidistant. Um, yeah, for sure. So the the other formal element that I noticed is like, um, so much of the movie seems to be, uh, like the settings that the film takes place in seem to, uh, be this like extremely stark contrast between like rooms confined spaces and then enormous vistas right uh, yeah. and they're often like juxtaposed uh immediately like one to the other um they transit well they, they they cut from one to the other yeah um and i think there's a like something eye-opening about <laughs> when that happens uh like it catches your attention um and and i would also it kind of seems to me that that's also communicating or like in keeping with the themes we're talking about where it's like fields of possibility uh, where like, okay, well for an individual in this society for Barry, like is, is he trapped in this room uh, or like what the room is symbolic of, which is, um, <clears throat> you know, these, these power structures or like class structures, um, nations, etc. Um, or is it like the other thing that's being communicated, which is these enormous vistas where like, Oh, there's just all of this space. He could just go mm-hmm. anywhere. And like, it's so open and like empty mm-hmm. and free. Uh, and it's just like, 
watching it, and- it felt like a huge percentage of the movie was either one or the other. And uh, <laughs> I feel like there's uh, something also like being communicated there um, through the setting. Well, and, and the other thing that that made me think of, too, is there's a there's a moment that stuck out to me. It's right before the intermission um, where um, Barry and the Lady Linden are like walking through a garden in um, somewhere in England or whatever. And you see the massive vista off in the distance, but this garden they're in you know, nature is very tamed. The The mm-hmm. bushes are trimmed to perfect little squares. There is not a branch out of place. And so it's very interesting to see the, the, the contrast of, you know, um, these beautiful, <coughs> these beautiful, like, paved roads and trimmed hedges and, like, what... What those are are, are are labor, you know? There are yep, they're people, ordered symbolic yeah. spaces of, like, class and all that. And, and there are people at the bottom of society who are maintaining this splendor that the aristocracy lives in. Meanwhile, just out of, like, just over there is, like, sort of, you know, quote-unquote untamed wilderness that is far more beautiful in many ways than, like, this perfection that they live in, you know? Um, in this perfectly ordered, mannered society. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, a, uh, there's a kind of like romanticism in the film that I, I think is, I think is like a big part of the film, but overall treated like somewhat sardonically. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's undercut by the black comedy so much. Right. Yes, it's like the subject of the black comedy, um, but still like very much like there and a driving force of the film um, where it's like, oh, you know, you have the individual who has like these these powers of uh, imagination, like ingenuity and and so on and so forth. And they stand against society and like rebel because they're unique. Uh, and they're rebelling against these constraints and like, so they go into nature and they like traverse nature and Mm. nature is like reflective of, (laughs) it's like, uh, indicating the like falsity of the spaces that are like indicating the falsity of all of this stuff. Um, and like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then, you know, layered on top of that, you have all of this, (laughs) uh, I mean, first of all, Barry is, like, not, uh, I, I wouldn't say, like, by the end, a very admirable figure. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> uh, no. you're like, oh, yeah, here's this romantic hero. Oh, and also, like, he's just, like, beating his stepson because, for some reason, uh, and, like, he ruining his own life. over him. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, look at how, like, great and... Uh, ingenious uh incapable this like hero is like just capable enough <laughs> to like he, completely destroy himself uh he has it all and all he had to do was fuck his wife sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah. well and there's also i mean um 
in some ways, the this movie is also a little bit the Steven Spielberg quote from Steven <clears throat> Spielberg watching the the Oscars nominations, <laughs> um, where he says, "Everyone loves a winner, but mm. nobody loves a winner." <laughs> and when he when Barry Lyndon's like winning his way up to the top, you love him. Yeah. He's great. Uh, once he's a once he just is aristocracy. Uh-huh. Once he's a winner, yeah. you're like fuck this guy. Once he's like blowing smoke in his wife's face you're like fuck yeah. this guy and fuck yeah. his wife too but and then also fucking fur coat <laughs> again in the in the like weird balance of like the faded things or the um there's also a way that like barry Lyndon is a gambler and then hits the point where he is like like the the I c- containing the account of the misfortunes and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon is in some ways him just like having the gambling addiction and just like keeping to pursue it. There's like also a a way in which is just gambling throughout. Well, and there's there's yeah. an interesting. Well, he's a gambler, but he cheats. Yes, yes. like yes. when he's successful. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, so he's like um, controlling. It, it's not truly fate. It's like the duel. Which uh, is a, yeah, yeah. Well, and so and so one of the other final things of his downfall, where he like truly falls from aristocracy is a moment where he does actually show some potential kindness or something where he's in the duel with his stepson and his stepson is a fucking horrible duelist um, <laughs> and misfires the first time. So and so funny. Barry Lyndon has the shot and he shoots it into the ground rather than like shooting his stepson, which is some sort of act of like kindness or of being like, let's do this as equals or something. I think he he's waving his shot. dick around. He, he, there's also a bit of him waving this dick around. Or like, like, if I kill my stepson right now, like I'm even more fucked than I, <laughs> yeah. than I was before. But like there, there is still an intentional decision that he makes when he shoots the ground rather than trying to just kill a stepson and win uh-huh. the duel. And because he makes that decision, he gets shot in the knee and the, the rest of, you know, his final downfall happens. And he, he's, a, he's a gambler, but he's a cheater, which is a lesson that he learns early because he finds out that the duel with John Quinn was fixed. Either he was going to die or get sent to Dublin um but there was no way that he was going to marry Nora after that duel. It was fixed yeah. so that that was never going to happen. And then he meets Chevalier and he's like, oh, man, fixing the game. This this is great. And then the one time he doesn't fix it is the, the duel with the stepson at the end. He's like, I got this. I've been dueling people since before this kid was born. I'm going to be fine. And he doesn't fix it. I mean, it. there's yeah. a certain amount of him in that moment gambling that his... You see, when he chooses to shoot into the ground, he's seen how bad of a duelist his stepson is, and is like, if I, maybe if I just shoot into the ground, he will choose not. He'll feel he'll say he has satisfaction because he clearly doesn't want to keep going through with this. When, he, when I shoot into the ground, yeah. I'm keeping some level of my honor, and and I'm letting him keep some where then he will say, yeah, yeah. you know, satisfaction. I've which is yeah. the irony of that, whatever is. Uh, it's tremendous because that's like exactly what John Quinn is trying to do with him. Well, yeah. as you point out, the, yeah. the mirroring, right? So, yeah, uh, Bullington or, or whatever is like Barry in that he's he's driven by this like youthful hatred uh, that uh, is just like this different kind of force than mm-hmm. uh, these ideas of like. Uh, propriety and and whatever that uh 
seem to be uh, operating on the other side. And so John Quinn is like, Hey, I don't want to do this duel with you. Like I'm trying to marry your cousin. I don't want to like kill you right now. And also like dueling the sucks. Uh, <laughs> and then Barry's like, no, I want to fucking kill you. Uh, Cause I hate you. <laughs> and then, uh, so you know, John Quinn's trying to like defuse it, offers him money and all that. Um, and then of course, like, like you're saying, Barry is like trying to defuse it. He shoots his pistol into the ground when he can clearly win. Uh, and is like, okay, yeah, let's just put this behind us. Like, come on. We don't need to, this is so extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Boynton is like, no, I fucking hate you. Like, I want to kill yeah. you. <laughs> much, much like, uh, Barry at the start saying I'd sooner go to hell than to Dublin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to give him say, one thing. He didn't really go to Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> True. It's, it's, yeah, he didn't. <laughs> it's also, speaking to the black comedy aspect of it, it's so funny that in the duel, he doesn't die. I was so sure that he was going to die in the duel. No, he loses his fucking leg and he has to keep going on living, having lost everything, you know? Yeah. Him yeah. and his lady Macbeth mom, who rocks, by the way. <laughs> um, There's a, yeah. like... I think this this is probably up to interpretation. And and maybe it's like both things are true at once. Um I, I think the other element for me and and probably for you too, uh, of black comedy is like <laughs> there's a cruelty to it, but yeah. The like the scenes where people are just like so in agony uh, and I'm not talking about like necessarily um, when his son is dying and stuff like that, but I'm thinking about like the, the dueling scene with John Quinn where there's so much uh, the camera really lingers on, on John Quinn and he's so like, so obviously like shitting his pants with <laughs> nervousness, like not wanting to be here right now, like desperately does not want to do the duel and is like in agony. Uh, and the camera's just like lingering on his face, like distorting. He like, he can't contain himself. Um, and then there's something similar about like Bullington. Uh, it, it, it's, it's going very to similar. Throw up and everything. Oh yeah, my going God. To throw up. And then like, Barry, you know, he gets shot and there's like an anticlimactic element where it's just the anticlimax is like, oh, you know, there's this duel. It's this big buildup. It's a dramatic moment. And then like, oh, yeah, the guy just gets shot and like falls down and is like really hurt, like really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like, like yelling because he's just been shot. Uh, um. And I think... To me, there is like a comedy in these moments that is like a, a cruel comedy, uh, but but maybe there as well, where it's like just laughing at like human suffering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, which if that is the case, would be in keeping with some of the themes that we were talking about. And yeah. I, I I think the cast does such a good job of selling that aspect of the yes. movie. We were talking last night, Nia, about uh, Marissa Berenson as Lady Linden. 
she gets like 10 lines in this movie. Yeah. But she's like the best performer in the film. Yeah. By far. Like and her silence also, conveys so much. Her, her there's a way that you can describe like what it what does she have to do? She has to look unbearably hot for like five minutes and then like the most depressed woman ever for the rest of the movie. Yes. But she fucking does a lot of work. Yes. Her her performance is like extremely physical. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like even just but, like the the looks and movements when she has to sign you know, it's like years later. What the the summary here says, uh, seventeen eighty nine is oh, that the like end. final scene. Yeah, signing the the annuity check to Barry, um, and just everything of her like seeing that it's the check that's go- that goes to Barry and everything. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, her yeah. her eyes are incredible. Yes, um, and I'm th- a a handful or a few scenes stand out that I I, I want to call out. Because I, I had prepared to talk about this as well, because I was really struck by it. Um, the scene at the poker table when she first meets Barry. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, no words are exchanged, but like in in that performance, just like the glances and looking away, like the dance of eyes it's and her so body language, good. unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, later, uh, when they like meet on the balcony. You know, in bodice strippers, they talk about like chests heaving. Mm-hmm. Now I know what that looks like. <laughs> that is was wild. Yeah. Like her, like that is a chest heaving <laughs> right there. Uh, I didn't know they could do that. Uh, but like, and and I'm, it's not just about you know that, although that's that's part of the performance. But, like, uh, just her entire, like, physicality of her performance. Um, And then the final one I wanted to talk about was uh, the scene when she's in the bathtub. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cuts to her, a close-up of her in the bathtub. Um, And she is, like, I don't even know how to describe the physicality because it's so static. But Mm -hmm. the posing... And like her eye posture, uh, and her just like incredible stillness is like it's so striking. And you're like, mm. oh my god, she's she's is she dead? Like she's dead. And they're like, yeah. Oh, like she, like what what the fuck? Like is she dead? Is she like a doll? Like what's going on? Yeah. Is this like a wax figure? Uh, but it's just like conveying so much uh intensity of emotion uh and uh yeah i the, yeah. this is a very different character but i also uh was thinking about this with the the prussian police captain not the not the military guy that barry ingratiates himself with but that guy is like uncle or whoever who is like yeah the, the chief of police, police. And yeah. he's just like he is a stone statue in his scenes, and then he'll occasionally call the military captain over and like whisper something in his ear. And I think that guy's so good. And uh, yeah. yeah, like I think he has lines, but I couldn't really be certain. <laughs> I mean, even Ryan O'Neill as Redmond Barry slash Barry Lyndon, yeah, um, 
has less lines than you might think for the protagonist who's like basically always on screen. And he has lines. Especially in the back half of the movie, he's talking a lot less. Yeah. Um, And even in the beginning, there's still a lot of moments that are are stuff being conveyed through silence. Yeah, for sure. Um, So. uh, The, 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 (laughs) The very first scene where he's like, he wants to fuck his cousin and he's like, oh, my hand is trembling or whatever. And he's like, he's very quiet in that scene. He's like, my lady, I cannot find it. And then yeah. they just like pause for a minute, you know? <laughs> and she's just like, are you, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> you haven't even tried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why don't you try to find it and then see if you can find it? Like, can I tee this up for you anymore? Than, <laughs> I than have I placed have. my boobs upon your face, you dumb child. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say acting in general is really good throughout mm-hmm. this. Um like the the mom, um, Barry's mother, um, Marie Keene, also very she's, good in this. She's wonderful. Yeah. The, the 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 way that she disappears from this movie for two, two and a half hours and then reappears as a like totally reinvented character, because she comes back as Lady Macbeth. And that was not who yeah. she was. She was a kindly old lady. Yeah. Like, like she was Aunt May, and, and now she's not. Yeah. <laughs> like, the transformation she goes through um, after not being in the movie for so long is really remarkable, I think. Yeah, there's a um, way that she's, like, almost paralleling Barry. Um, yeah. In, like, in that transformation. Um but it, it's it's very subtle, like like you said, because she's gone and then she comes back and it's like she comes back in a subtle way. She's not yeah. even announced. Like you just see her and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like Barry's mom is here. Yeah. Like, when, that makes when sense. The scene where she suddenly appears again and she's like talking to Barry about like wanting to make sure that her son and grandson is like set up. Yeah. We know, had to. The, like, we were like, that's his mom, right? We had yeah, to do a quick see her Google in the for double check. Yeah, yeah, you see her in the the shot before that because she's like they're watching whatever it is they're they're watching uh, outside, and she's like sitting next to him, uh, mm. and so then it's just like, oh yeah, she's back. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then yeah, you get the scene that you where it becomes clear um, like after that, but it's still like slowly kind of ramping up to what it becomes. Um. One thing, and this would have been a, a great thing to say at the beginning of all this discussion, but it's fine here too. Uh, one of the things that I also, and this is one of the biggest things I remembered from when I first watched it, which is that um, I also think this movie does a really good job of like understanding what's good about a stuffy British drama and like appreciating and and having a love for stuffy British drama while also understanding that one British people in general are just incredibly goofy and stupid. Um, just like, as a, fired. Uh, <laughs> just like as a culture, like British culture <laughs> is goofy. More shots kind fired. Of lame. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, and also that stuffy British dramas are especially this. Yes. That like the movie is always operating on like, the stuffy British drama of this is both the joke and also what's really good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's taking some of the, like, 
attitudinal or like formal elements, such as like the restraint that you would expect from that type of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, like the restraint in the camera work and then the like uh, these kind of restrained uh, performances. Um, and then like doing something uh, quite a bit different with it. Like it's still recognizable as that. Um, but it's like so the content without be- feeling heightened, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's heightened so that it becomes absurd, but it doesn't feel like it until you like are in the rhythm of the movie. And it, and it also doesn't, there's such an easy way that you tip it over into, this is just all absurdity. Yeah. Like there's like the Monty Python version of this. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And it's never, it's never the Monty Python British stuffy, mm-hmm. you know, the whole joke is we're doing it. it it's not, like, there's no ministry of silly walks. Yeah. Um, which is, which is making fun of the same type of thing that this movie is, but this movie is, you know, um, it's not pointing fingers at anybody in particular, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, it doesn't ever let you forget about, like, human death and suffering. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, again, like, very um, seemingly, like, deliberately spaced out uh, deaths in the film. Um, and, like, losses. Uh, so, like, uh, John Grogan, I think his name is. The, the like captain, uh, the British <laughs> army guy that he's like friends with or whatever he is. I love this guy and, because he's like, if you ever need a friend or a second in a duel, I'll be there for you. And Barry's like, I'm going to duel this motherfucker tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he's like, all right, I wasn't expecting that request. To, I wasn't expecting you to cash that chip right away. Yeah. I'll be honest. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, the immediate vibes. Yeah. Yeah. But, also the part where he dies and then he's like, kiss me. And then Barry really goes for it. Barry, Barry goes in for that kiss. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. As um, you were saying, Connor. Yeah. Well, uh, I, yeah. Agreed on the kiss. I was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a very passionate friendship, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> It's also <laughs> almost as passionate as the friendship between those two officers when Barry stole the officers <laughs> the horse. Real yeah, quick, right. quick note about that scene. I love that like five minutes prior he's like, Oh, I got a I got a good sum of money from uh uh from your cousins when uh we fixed that duel. And then as he's dying, he's like yeah, I gambled most of that money away. <laughs> yeah, I already lost yeah. it. Sorry. <laughs> Remember I told you I had a bunch of money? Well, immediately after that, I lost most of it, but I can give you the rest. Yeah, I've goodbye. got 20 bucks. <laughs> Kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. I love when that happens. <laughs> when, uh, you know, my uncle gets shot by the French and then gambled all my money away. And then we yeah. kiss before he dies. Um, yeah, but it's, I guess I don't, I don't even know anymore. The point I was trying to make is like, uh, just to, to, by way of agreeing with, um, the, the idea that it never really topples over into this, like stakes less, 
uh, emotionless mm-hmm. um, parody. Like it keeps you grounded by reminding you of like, oh yeah, um, death and suffering. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's enough like character work um, where where I do, I do think you feel those things uh, mm-hmm. when they happen. Um, and since they're also tying into like what the film is communicating uh to a large degree of the time about these larger ideas about like um, fate and like futility uh, and like loss and stuff like that. Um, I think they hit uh, and those kind of keep you in it. Um, Even as you, I think by the end you're kind of like, well, I don't think I really care if Barry like gets shot and dies because this guy is like kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're still not just like, um, on some level, he's like the hero of the movie. And so you still, you don't want him to get shot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think there's still like emotional investment there, even though it's like a more complex, uh, emotional investment. Uh, huh. uh, I was like, it was funny cause we were texting earlier. Um, and I, I watched the, I stopped before the last 40 minutes. I was telling you all this and you both were like, Oh yeah. The last 40 minutes are like great. Like you, that's mm-hmm. the best part of the movie. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Cause I, I've watched it once years ago and I forgot most of it. So I didn't know what was going to happen. And I start playing it and it's like, Oh, like my boy, like <laughs> my son died. And I'm just like, God, y'all are sick. <laughs> Oh yeah, this is the best oh, part of the no. movie. His son dies. <laughs> <laughs> when you had said that, because I think when we were watching it last night, um, I think we paused it right after the son dies, and I was almost like, "Let's just stop, and I'll watch the rest of it after work tomorrow." And we pushed through. Uh, we, we had two moments, and one was right before the like. Uh, performance where they come in and it like breaks out into a fight. Uh huh. Um, which was also just like just great moment of like explosive, like you know the handheld camera and everything. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But then the other one was right after the sun died. Yeah. I I, I would not have said that if I had known you were right before the sun died uh-huh. <laughs> because. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh. I thought that scene was actually kind of moving. I think that scene is actually kind of moving. And then even as his son's dying, he's like, and I killed 23 of them. And it's like, really? Because last time you told that story, it was 19. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's something that's really sad about like, um, you, you look at like the, um, the child abuse in the movie um, with like him abusing his stepson and like doing corporal punishment and stuff like that. Uh, and I think the, the movie is like, um, how should I put it? Psychologically sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, as like an important thing in, uh, Barry's relationship to his like children and like who Barry is. Um, 
and then it's like, oh, well, you know, but he's still got a good relationship with his like biological son. Um, and then like his son is injured and is like mortally wounded. And he's like, are you going to hit me, dad? And that's like, oh, Ooh. that's that <laughs> is a that's a knife. It's it's rough because he had just said, I'm going to whip the shit out of you if you do this. And that is, yeah. you know, his son actually gets into trouble. And it's like, of course, I'm not going to whip you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, hello, Lem. Are you, um, um Oh, the cat. The cats have invaded. Yeah, is, yeah, I think this is Ollie. This is Ollie. Um. But yeah, there. I think also, like, the tragedy. There is a way that the beginning of the his son dying is comical. Like the the delivery of like and the setup, yeah, the setup of like the horses and everything, um, that I think also then makes the turn into tragedy more affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even even as it then will still sometimes touch into the black comedy with like him telling the story again to his son, um, and it's like a little bit touching, but it's also a little bit funny because of like what the story is. And, yeah, yeah, and, um, and we know. That this MF never stormed a castle with twenty three he devils. Yeah, right. Like, he, ran, he ran away from. Yeah, he like ran away from the battle. The only battle we see him in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm like, when he tells that story, I'm like, is this like the time that he lifted that one thing that fell on on was it Plotsdorf? Plotsdorf. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like maybe that's the, the battle, but yeah, he's just like, you know, we stormed them and like got everybody, you know, killed everyone Mm -hmm. (laughs) basically. They gave me 19 guineas, one for each head that I took off of the French or whatever. Yeah. And the part where he gets the, the two, um, oh yeah. Cause that would have been, if it was guineas, it would have been different too. Cause he gets the, he gets the two coins from the Germans. Yeah. The the German Prussians. Yeah. I love. We I forgot about the bit where the 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 German officers are like, Barry, you were very brave. You're also a yeah. rotten, no good Here's son of a two bitch. Coins and like we fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also like, and maybe it's not um, dissimilar from from some of the stuff we've said before. Uh, but I think there's a like. I, I mentioned that. Um, the movie's interested in human conflict. Um, I think there's also just like a way that it's interested in the idea of force and like um, this kind of problem, like the problem of force um, where you can look at human existence or society like it's a you know, foundational philosophical problem uh of like you know might makes right or whatever um and the movie's often like coming back to um different types of of force and how they like uh can or like mostly can't be resisted mm-hmm. um and so like him being conscripted into the German army, for instance, and there's like a lot of strangely, a lot of discussion of the German army and how there's like, um, in this section of the film, it talks a lot about like, uh, impressment or like your force conscription and, hmm. and all of that. 
and it's, it's like, like the German arist or the Prussian aristocracy is the officers, but at the the people they're commanding are just the lowest of the low, you know. Yeah, yep. and they're like conscripted from all over, not you know, um, just Prussians and things. Yeah, uh, yeah, and how much the 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 people are just um, was it food for the powder? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Cannon fodder, cannon fodder. Yeah, um, and it. It's the movie often seems to be reminding us of like, okay, we have all of this, um, you know, we have these customs and like, uh, human society is like erected on, uh, well, I'll qualify this by saying this is one way of maybe thinking about it. Um, you have all of these like conventions and customs, uh, of human society. Um, but then like somehow underneath all of that is just like force and power uh in a way <laughs> and like um barry like taking on the disguise of the british officer and you know he's relying on like these ideas of custom and like rank uh and formalities that are um you know these symbolic things uh and he's like getting pretty far and then it's just like uh actually like no <laughs> we're just going to force you into the army and there's no fucking thing you can do about it. Uh, yeah. Cause we're like the Prussian military. It doesn't matter like how, you know, guileful you are, smart you are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then later on, like the dispute with the, the German aristocrat that he like wins all the money from. And then the guy like goes away and doesn't want to pay. And then it's like, Oh, well we're just going to duel for it. Um, and then whoever wins this sword fight, like, has to get, has to, like, assent um, because all of these other mechanisms have failed. And so now we're just, like, back at this. We've stripped away uh, all of these, like, uh, customs and whatnot mm-hmm. um, because they've, like, failed. And, and now we're, like, at the, again, this is just, like, an interpretive construct. But now we're at, like, the fundamental reality again of this, like, force. Um and and the duels themselves are an interesting uh, construct for this idea in the movie because, you know, duels are simultaneously like you can have this uh, this distillation of the idea of just like a contest of force, um, mm-hmm. where like two men enter, one man le- one man leaves. Like you just fight, and then whoever is still there yeah, yeah, is like yeah. gets whatever. Uh, but so a duel is kind of like conceptually that, um, but then in practice, duels are like much more about like class and custom and, and all of these things. Absolutely. Um, so I guess all of that just to say, like, this is part of what the movie seems to be engaging with is like, okay, well, um, what exactly is the meaning of this or, or, uh, is this true? Or like, what's the meaning of like, oh yeah. Underneath all of like the, um, maybe like embedded within or, uh, there are different options here embedded within or underneath or the same thing, uh, like human conflict and force, Versus, like, you know, customs and uh, of society and everything. Right. Um, yeah. So. Uh, well, and because we have so many 
<clears throat> like we have the 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 dueling with you know guns, mm-hmm. but there are these other the the fencing is yep. another sort of duel, and there's also the fight when he's like a soldier against the other soldier, mm-hmm. yep. and especially the fight of the soldier like where Barry's just hitting that other soldier is the most where it's just like Barry is a better fucking fighter. Yes, he is yeah. like better at this than the other guy. Yeah, um, and even the duel, which is a little bit more that than some of the like the the fencing duel rather than the the dueling the with pistols. Yeah, um, that is a little bit more like Barry is a better fighter, but you still see a way that like fencing is, I think the movie accentuates to some degree, the way that fencing is a little bit silly and how much you are like doing all the customs that you have to do with fencing. Yeah. Um, there is still an expression of class here. Yeah. Uh, there's like certain ways that you have to like hold yourself while dueling. That is like beyond just, what what would necessarily be like effective military tactic or whatever? Well, and um, and even the um, and it, and it's not he's not like repeatedly hitting a man until he falls down. It's like oh I I got the the point like I I poked you once and it's like seems like they're doing it with uh you know capped um like rapiers or whatever. Even the, he, you know he's not like stabbing the man through. It's like oh you got the hit on me and so. I've lost symbolically like yes killed me. Yeah. The 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 there are still social customs that have to be observed uh that are based on class in the the boxing scene which is like they have a couple verbal back and forth and then it sort of breaks into a fight and then the the commander gets involved and he's like everybody form a square mm-hmm. all right gentlemen we'll all watch you yeah. Yeah. Um like no kicking there's still constraints. Yeah. But, like, in the way that those customs are, like, far more at a lower class, uh-huh. there's, like, yeah. a, a closerness to it's just two men punching each other. Yes. Yeah. And and one of those men gets up from that fight covered in blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, and probably heavily concussed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, my recommendation to the other guy is I recommend swinging uh, not above the head. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, like, at the head, or you can even, like, do a little below first. Yeah. Or just, like, tackle yeah. the guy. He's so <laughs> much larger than Barry. Yeah. You know, just go in, like, grapple him. I don't know. I don't know fucking shit about boxing. Never mind. I mean, it, it was funny because I could tell to some degree that, like, he's going to win it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it was just obvious at points that the man was swinging above mm-hmm. Barry's head. I'm sleepy. Yeah. Let's wrap this shit up. Uh, you have final <laughs> thoughts on Barry Lyndon? This movie's fantastic. Yeah. There you go. Stairs. We have to rate the stairs. We do. I feel like there's very few actual stairs that people move on. Yeah. There are some nice looking stairs in this movie, but I don't recall a single scene where people ascend or descend these nice looking stairs. There's like maybe like a couple steps where like people walk down, but like. I feel like there's not, like, a big staircase that someone ever walks up and down. No. Um, I'm going to say, like, a D-plus because there are some nice-looking stairs that are not used. Yeah. Um, Connor, does a D-plus for stairs feel right to you? Uh, it it does. It feels a little harsh, but uh, I can't disagree I... because I 
when I was walking into this room to like sit down and start the podcast, I was like, oh, fuck, the stairwells. Uh, <laughs> I like I was like, oh, no, I didn't pay attention. Um, but the fact that I like don't remember them, it is uh, speaks loudly to me. Yeah, so, I feel like, like this is a movie there, where if there was a stairwell scene, it would be a memorable stairwell scene. Yeah. There's never, I feel like there's never been a time where we're like, I don't remember stairs in this movie. And then we remember the stairs and we're like, those are S stairs. It's like, we remember the stairs and we're like, oh, that's not like a, a F or like a D. That's like a C plus. Right. That's, there, there was that one. Whereas the ones where you, it's an S, you fucking know it because it's like, yeah, the man, like, there's an extended scene where he walks up the stairs to assassinate someone, and then after he assassinates them, the guy rolls down the stairs, and then he just has to face the consequences of, like, yeah. my life is I'm told that I have to assassinate someone, and I go and I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're, like, Utena stairs, and you're just, like, Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's the highest rating. <laughs> uh, Utena as stairs. It's truly. Yeah. Connor, where could people find you online? Uh, y'all can find me at Rebley, R-E-B-B-L-E-A-S, on Twitter and co-host. Uh, do you have any other podcasts that you want to promo as the guest on this podcast? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is my first um, <laughs> first time doing this part. Uh, yeah, so I've, we've got two other podcasts, both with Neve here. Uh, so we have Ghost Divers, which is an anime podcast, but not right now. Right now we're doing Nana, which is great. Uh super deep dive on nana um anyone who's interested in nana or just uh likes us <laughs> uh just, <laughs> just check that out um who knows what we're going to be doing next i mean maybe it might somehow involve autumn i don't know um, yeah, and we are we are still planning to do berserk i don't know if you decided to change your kiddo has been watching uh pokemon the original pokemon anime which is the same animation team as Berserk 97, and when I notice the stylistic similarities, I lose my fucking mind. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you said after Berserk, they went back to making nothing but Pokemon. They did one season of... <laughs> they did one season of Pokemon, they did one season of Berserk, and then they just make Pokemon now. I they were like, it, okay, okay, it's too much. Let's go back uh, to Pokemon. <laughs> I mean, uh, despite how popular Berserk is, um, I think I know which one probably makes the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, all that. Uh, I was going to be coy about it, but yeah. I mean, maybe Berserk after Nana, and then maybe Autumn will guest on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that would be It's be my favorite cool. anime. Yeah, that is that is the anime, the, the original one, I guess. The We're not reading one. the manga. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we already did that. We're doing that right now, and um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's been great, but it's very not as very long, and uh, it might be a while before we do another long manga. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the other podcast is Pondering Putan with Ajishiro Taro and Hachimitsu Boy. Um, it's a lighthearted and uproarious comedy podcast. Dedicated to Eiji Nonaka's uh, manga, Cromartie High School. Um, and uh, it's it's really um, it's really very uh, fascinating. <laughs> uh, sometimes we read the manga, sometimes we don't. Well, well we correction. always read the manga. We always read the yeah. manga. Sometimes we discuss it directly. 
Sometimes we discuss it obliquely. Um, and then sometimes we just talk about how to cook pasta for some reason. Um, it's the only podcast that contains both Milwaukee and Florida. Yes. No, I, there's probably other podcasts that contain it, but. <laughs> well, if there are, then we're going to fight them. Um, yeah, so it's uh, 30 minutes long, so uh, we limit ourselves and um, it's it's, it's a fun the format. only podcast that talks about Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars as much as it does. Right. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, we don't need to uh, think about that. There's this one girl that I follow on TikTok who she'll like post other videos, but I follow her because sometimes she will uh, go to a parking lot and will review the parking lot and like talk about the things she likes and doesn't like about the parking lot and then give it a like out of 10 score at the end. Yeah. It's um, kind of like ornate stairwells in that way. It is Except a little bit. Instead of stairwells, it's, but instead of going just, like elevated structures, they're flat ones. <laughs> <laughs> but just like her energy, the way that she does the the reviews, I feel like if she went on Pondering Pouton, it would just, she would just seamlessly fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, like just the level, the, when I watch it, the comedy th- nerve in my brain being tickled. Is the Pondering Pouton one. We, we have, have... Oh, go ahead, Autumn. Sorry. We have penciled in uh, the straight story directed by David Lynch for episode 105. Oh, yeah. That is tentative based on if we have a better idea between now and two weeks from now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal coffee with no underscore. You can find Nia at Nia on any social media platforms. And you can also find me in the fucking bed. <laughs> it's great how the way that we or- like record this, you get to be the one who's all like exasperated trying to end the podcast. And when I could have been that during the Baldur's Gate 3 talk if we just recorded this differently. <laughs> It's better this way. I'm just saying. Nanahachi is real. Nanahachi is real. Say Nana- the line, Bart. <laughs> Nanahachi is real. Thank you. <laughs> we are free from our podcast prison. We made stop. <laughs>
Yeah, me too. I just hit it. Okay. So, whatever. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm I'm drinking my tea. You two decide on a time to clap. Ooh, okay. This is it. Put your phone this down. This is my time. This is my time to Am shine. Am I clapping? You're clapping. I'm drinking my oh, tea. Okay. Fifty. Give me a zero. Mm-hmm. I'm the one clapping. Oh well, yeah, so am I. We're in this together. <laughs> I that... really, I really heard the delay there. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that came, like that came through on our end at fifty-one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's because there's two of you right now. Yeah, that's it. Um, hi, listeners. Welcome to the non-homophobia zone. Uh, Connor, you know, do you know how this podcast is recorded? Just checking. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, it's similar to Ghost Divers in that it is out of order. Okay, okay. I didn't, I wasn't, I thought you guys did it out of order as well, but I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, the drink check is before we record. Um, and then bathroom breaks also end up in okay. the, the end there, which is basically what I do with, with stairwells as well. Well, can we get a drink check? Neo, what are you drinking? Um, I've got some honey lemon water because this bronchitis cough is fucking coming back and I'm really, really over it. I'm still coughing mucus constantly. Yeah, yeah I have mucus. Um, I just cracked open a Verner's. I should have asked you for a Oh, Verner's. yeah. Um, and I have some water. You're double fisting the tonics. And we've got, <laughs> we've got Ricola in here. Yes. Which I guess I converted you to. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta just get like a humidifier in there and... Some I think Vicks vapor the rug, humidifier just like is in the, all over the walls. Yeah, the humidifier is <laughs> in the bedroom, but it's not in the closet. So. Okay, yeah, you need like an extension cable so you can yeah. run it, run <laughs> exactly. it uh, in, in the closet. I mean, there is a, a surge protector in here in the closet. Yeah, oh, we okay. could get the hu- well. Yeah, be... duh, because your whole recording setup's in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah that How about sense. you, Connor? What are you drinking? Okay, so I'm drinking tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's black tea. It's the it's like grocery store tea packets. Um, okay. I was gonna make an actual like pot of tea, but then I was like, mm, I don't need that much. <laughs> 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 so so then I I made one cup. Um, this is generally my thought process when deciding between a pot or a cup. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do you like how I narrated that as if it was interesting in any way? Uh, in addition to the tea, I am also drinking water. Uh, and then in addition to the water, uh, in honor of our friend Barry's sojourn in Germany, I'm drinking a German beer. Well, actually... Yeah, yeah, it's it's German. I was like, is this somehow fucking like some Dutch, German speaking Dutch beer? <laughs> I'm about to embarrass myself again. Uh, no, fucking it's... German speaking Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, right. Um, Weird hate, hate note to guys. start the show on, yeah. but okay. Hate those guys. Well, we're in the non homophobia zone right now. Have we been recording for twenty minutes, or is there something fucked up about this? Uh, th- we have not been recording. <laughs> what is going on? What? Wow, Autumn. It, no, I want to know. It says we've been recording for 20, 20 hours. hours. Whoa. Okay. That is, <laughs> we have to, that's we have a to serious. investigate this. Yeah. Um, 
Give me give me that full screen audacity. That's, that's more than what? just a clerical error. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> let's just like zoom out. Um I guess we we are for some reason we started this recording uh in the audacity file 2 hours into the audacity file. I don't know why. 20 hours into or the Or 20 hours into the audacity file. Yeah, it's, I don't know how that happened. It's 20 hours it's of silence and then German speaking yeah, Dutch. like not not silence is in like it's recorded and there's like just a line there of silence but just like you know the audacity file like it started at yeah like at the recording is not 20 hours long it just like started at the 20th hour yes yeah that is extremely ominous um i'm sure it won't go badly for us <laughs> yeah definitely is not already going badly uh, okay. uh should we should we explain the thing that's making this all extra weird this is this is fucked up Listeners, if you look at this, the artwork for Ornate Stairwells, as illustrated by Cam Marshall, you'll notice that I sit on the left and Nia sits on the right, like God intended. Yeah. But because your headphone co- cord is so much longer It than has mine, the longest fucking cord ever. It's kind of annoying sometimes when I want to listen to something, and I'm like, I have to do something with all this cord. Yes, you have a, no joke, like, six-foot cord for your yeah. headphones. And it's all, it's just kind of, like, back here right now, so I don't really have to... Mm-hmm. Like, I just, like, shove it under, like, way under the, the ironing board. But sometimes I'm, like, I want to listen to, like, a vinyl on my headphones. And then I'm just, like, well, what the fuck do I do with this cord? Meanwhile, my headphones cord is just a little too short. And so, because we're, you know, doing the headphone splitter so that we can hang out with Connor, um, I'm sitting on the right side, and you're sitting on the left side, and listeners... If that's ever, the opposite. If you if you're not yeah. following along, that's the opposite of normal. Listeners, <laughs> oh, if so you and your partner okay, got it, yeah. If you and your partner have ever like gone to a hotel and like switched sides of the bed for an evening, it's fucked up. And this is like the same vibe as that. As like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like trying to do stuff on the laptop because you don't fucking understand how to use Macs. I don't. It's um, kind of embarrassing how much I don't understand how to use Macs. I should have insisted on just moving it over. Because the other thing is that on the right side is where the the jack is. Yeah. For the or like the the headphone jack. Yeah, the yeah. headphone jack. Um, and so. We could potentially do that, and you would still have, like, decent headphones. Because the other issue is, like, trying to wrap it all the way around. Right. Right. Um, what are... We could technically what are do the other options just going to sound bad. Yeah. What are some of the other options you could... But I could move the laptop. Right. Move, move the laptop. Okay. I, but the, it would fuck up your drink situation. That's fine. What if you move the drink first, and then you move the laptop, yeah. like, second? I mean, that makes sense, but I... I the thing is that I have OCD, and so I'm seeing Nia mess up where I typically put my drinks, and I'm like, get out of my drink space. <laughs> Even though my drinks are not there. My drinks are in Nia's drink right, space. Right, you've already switched sides. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Sw- switch the laptop sides. What a disaster. It's just, this is... <laughs> Uh, not... Well, the other issue too is from this angle. So there's a a part of the trackpad that wait. I there's have set another up. issue. 
Yeah. Well, so there's a part of the trackpad that I have set up to be a right click, which Mac often doesn't have a right click. You're supposed to like do a button or whatever. Yeah. Which I think you is have stupid. set your right click to the left side of your trackpad, which is you the most fucked up thing of all. Yeah. Apple, you do it with your thumb, and then you like do stuff here. Apple You're doesn't like, think that you need to be able to right click, so they just make it really hard. That's like okay. how they design everything. I want to. I want to stress one thing. Nia says. Autumn doesn't know how to use a Mac. That's true. It is a little embarrassing how much I don't know how to use a Mac. On the other hand, when I try to use your Mac, because yours is the only Mac I ever attempt to use, your right click is where your left thumb goes, and you have an Icelandic keyboard, so I don't know how to type fucking anything. <laughs> you just you go up here where it says IS for Iceland, okay. and you move it over to this... <laughs> Why would the abbreviation? ABC. It's it's easy for you. It's A B C. Do you Why know would the, the abbreviation for Iceland be I S? Because uh, Icelandic language. But it doesn't Iceland. make a, well. Yeah, but you would only know that if you knew Icelandic yeah. or something the, about but, Iceland. But the other thing is that when I log on to a computer, the first thought that crosses my mind is not. Mm, gotta make sure Nia's fucked up computer types in English. I don't think of it until I try to hit, like, plus over here yeah, and it normally, comes out as a parenthesis. You're not normally <laughs> expecting that when you log on to a computer. Yeah. I'm. I'm uh, yeah. If this isn't clear, I'm siding with Autumn here. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Um, We're going to continue to side against Nia because Connor and I... Have been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate. Do we want to do this in the main episode or the not? Are we just having an incredibly long non-homophobia zone, or I have we don't have any other movies to yet. talk about? Oh, please finish your drink check. <laughs> 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 the chaos this was on the pod is <laughs> long interlude. This was our intermission because yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're doing Barry Lyndon. Uh, okay, we're now returning. Uh, Barry Lyndon married the milf. And <laughs> I have a German beer. Uh, what was your German beer? It's Francis Connor. Am I saying that right, Nia? Um, F R A N Z I S K A N E R. Francis Connor. Yeah, yeah, that's close yeah. enough. Uh, it's it's really good. It's one of the only like probably objectively good beers that I enjoy. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm drinking that. Um, I need to, uh, I haven't opened it yet. So let me get my, uh, beer of Nervafa. Ooh. I'm not very good at <laughs> opening <laughs> beers. Hold on. Okay. It's, it's open and it's, uh, it's spilling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So things are great over here. <laughs> Listeners, I just I'm just like I'm just letting it all I'm just rubbing it all on my pants. Like I'm just letting it drip all out onto my pants and we're gonna keep going. since I should I should give a little preface to a conversation that the three of us had earlier today, which is that <laughs> Let me preface this conversation I'm about to recollect. <laughs> Well, just to just to contextualize some of the chaos on the pod so far, at about nine this morning, I texted the both of you. 
I'm so excited for stairwells tonight, and also I just want to go to bed. <laughs> and all three of us were like, yeah, we're we're looking forward to recording, but none of us really want to do it. <laughs> and here we are. This Maximum is us. chaos pod. Yeah. This yeah. is how we make it through. <coughs> we just uh, conjure absolute chaos and black out for three hours and then come back to our senses. Um, but to answer your question from a few minutes ago, Nia, I figure none of us have any other movies to discuss. We just have Barry Lyndon. So I figure we'll probably just do a long non-homophobia zone and a brief, uh, ornate stairwells, quote unquote, and then call it a day. So ornate stairwells is just going to be Barry Lyndon. Yes. Okay. That's my plan. Okay. I, I, let's go around the table real quick because I, I want to check in with everybody. Connor... You've been playing Baldur's Gate 3, yes? Any other gaming you've been well, doing? I, w- I wanted to have a little thing to intro. I just wanted, right, I wanted yeah. to... Ch- Let's not I get to on check track what- somehow. Let's, like, <laughs> do something else. But you're... <laughs> you're spoiling the thing I wanted to do to the intro to the, us talking about games, and then we can talk about those other games. Stuff. Okay, I just wanted to see what games people had played, but if you had a bit planned, please. The thing was, so the first time <laughs> that you and Connor ever talked, uh-huh. also the first time that, like, we podcasted, I think. You and me? Maybe? I don't think so. I don't think we had done stairwells by by then. No, that's, yeah, that was before... Had. Mm. That was before stairwells. I, I think it was crazy. Yeah, I think it was before stairwells. Um, but it was also the first time that you guessed oh, it. Oh, you're right. On it Ghost was. Divers, you're we right. now have Connor guessing on stairwells for the very first time. Uh huh. And when when you guessed it on Ghost Divers, mm-hmm. um, Connor had just played through Final Fantasy VIII up to Nork. Had, right. had like beaten Norg, basically. Yeah. Uh yeah. Connor's now guesting Nork. on stairwells, and I have played Final Fantasy VIII up to Norg. I've just beaten <laughs> Norg. <laughs> Despite this, I'm not gonna be the one having the like hour-long conversation about a video game. It's still gonna be both of you because you're gonna talk about Baldur's Gate 3. It's a good video game. Yes, it's quite good. It is, it is, it is the good gaming. Sorry, I'm trying to make a quick meme um, while we podcast. A, a meme that I thought of last night, which is just the the no fear, one fear comic, but the the second panel is part two containing an account of the misfortunes uh, and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon. <laughs> I'm I'm very impressed uh, at like the fearlessness. To make a meme while podcasting, yeah, <laughs> I would never well, I even had... dream. Like I, I can't I even look left yesterday. while podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like um, sitting here, like anyone. perfectly still. I can't move. <laughs> just all of my like energy and attention is dedicated to this right now. I want to point out that I was not the one that got us off track here with you're making a meme. Um, <laughs> so we're not about anything else other than like Baldur's Gate 3, basically. I've played Alan Wake. You've played Final Fantasy 8. Tell us about Final Fantasy 8. How um, are you enjoying it? Yeah. I mean, I've it gets about better it from, it gets a lot better from where you are. Like it's already good, but it gets a lot better. I would agree okay. with that. Okay. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so far I'm like, I'm enjoying it, but it's not, it's not like really hitting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just wait. Yeah. Um, there's been some good parts. The, the, this is true of like all Final Fantasy games of the era. Um, like PlayStation Final Fantasy games are, are extremely this, um, like especially seven and, and eight, like those two. I haven't played that much of nine, but I, I think nine's kind of similar. Um, but like eight is extremely like the, the differences between the characters is almost non-existent when it comes to like combat, when it comes to like gameplay, Mm -hmm. they have like the different limit breaks, but also even different than Final Fantasy seven. The limit breaks are only when you're like, I mean, technically, I think you can get them anytime because it's some percentage thing, but it's like you only hit it when they're low HP. Um, the only time I, I ever use a limit break is when they're low HP, but mm. the game's not that hard, so I'm rarely low HP, and as soon as I am, I usually heal up because I don't want to like ha- have to revive a character. Right. Mm-hmm. And sense. so maybe I get the limit break off once, rarely. Mm-hmm when it comes up that uh, a character ended up low eight, like health. Um, so I barely even see the, the like HP, like the, the limit breaks as a, a combat mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, is cool because the dog will sometimes come in and do something when she yeah, gets hurt. The dog that's like, fucking rocks. that's like Angela. one little extra. Yeah. Cool thing with, with, her character. Angela's a um, great name for a dog, by the way. Didn't you name the dog Lem or something? Yeah, I named the dog Lem. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you overwrote. Yeah. I always name, which Final Fantasy VIII has given me very little opportunity, other than uh, the GFs, the Guardian Forces, to name characters after, like, friends or just other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have a... But... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm only interjecting this because it... It's directly relevant, and I, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I hadn't finished the game. I hadn't had this experience like when last time I talked about Final Fantasy VIII. But mm. so I guess like way at the beginning of the game, you can name Squall's weapon or something. Oh like right. That, right, right, yeah. And uh, I, I, I took a long time like playing Final Fantasy VIII, so I didn't even remember by the time I was finishing it, like. I didn't even remember what I was doing. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know what you're about to say. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so at the end, I'm not going to spoil anything, but at the end, like, that weapon becomes very significant in, in a way. Like, right at, at the, like, end of the game in this, in tra- this like, traumatic moment. And the name of the weapon is like announced, uh, but it, it turns out I had named the weapon penis. <laughs> uh, and I guess I was really like intrigued with the phallic imagery of the the gun blade, and just was like in that you know, uh, yeah. in the sardonic type of mood. So like. All of a sudden, this like I'm in the final like boss fight, and it's just like blasting dialogue, and it's like blah blah like penis blah blah, and like what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Literally, my first thought was like what the fuck, and then my second thought was like 
is my game broken? <laughs> like, is there something wrong with my game? Like, I truly was, I was so confused. It took me, like, a solid 10 minutes to remember. I just kept that playing. you had done this. Yeah, I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah. So anyway, that's what happens when you name yeah. stuff in Final Fantasy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so anyway, the, the characters are, like, there's truly very little to the character. The things that have more personality are the guardian forces. Those instill personality into the character that you have, but it's not about the actual character and you are incentivized. The best way to play the like way that you should be playing is you should have all guardian forces equipped to the three active party members at all times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Um, you can like junction and all that. Yeah, so you can do, like, maximum junctions, you can have, like, the most options of things to do, all of the Guardian Forces are getting, uh, is it AP, I think I is think what it's so. called, the, yeah. the experience points for Guardian Forces. They're leveling forces. up, yeah. And yeah, they're all leveling up. Yeah. All that stuff, you want to be, you want them all junction at the same time, and so when you change parties, and the game will frequently make you change parties, you have to do the switch yeah. Junction thing, which which it's I didn't nice. know was a thing yeah. until the last dungeon of the game, and so I had it way more tedious than you have it. Yeah, and you're yeah. still having it pretty tedious. Well, and it it's nice that that function is there, but they don't do the thing. I I feel like other games understood like an issue with having this happen as well. They didn't understand that you should then make your HP be a percentage. It should be whatever the percent of your HP, if your HP goes up because of the way you junctioned, you get the same percent of your new HP. But instead, every time, and when you do the whole, like, uh, assassination mission, you switch so many times, and every time, you, especially because... Early game, I farmed some very good magic for junctioning, and so every time that the the like junction comes off of a character, the eight their HP goes down to like six hundred, and then I junction them and it goes up to two thousand. Yes, but now you have six hundred out of two thousand. Yeah, and so then I either have to start a fight and draw cures from a uh, enemy or cast from my cure stock, and then I'll have to, like, draw later because I want to, like, keep that replenished. Because, um, like, yeah. junctioning well, with, like, Cura or Curaga, right. you get, like, massive yeah. HP boost. Yeah. Right. So I want to have, like, the good bank of stuff that I can then use for junction. Like, often I'm actually not casting magic because it's more effective often to just have a really good magic junction. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's definitely one way to just like use yeah. melee. Sometimes, sometimes magic is really good, but it's like for a boss fight. And then it's just like, okay, like maybe I'll replenish or like at this point, there's been some parts where like one character, like I just somehow got some extra. So I have like the reserve characters have like extra cures and stuff. There's just a part where I like in- intentionally decided to just throw some off onto that. So I could like in a couple random battles, do a few drawing of cures and not have to like always super intentionally restock. But anyway, for, for me, yeah. I just, I did this by, uh, I had money flying out of my ears. So I would just stock up on potions. Yeah, yeah. Or you, you use your potions. And now that I have the mug ability, I'm getting potions a lot more. And so it's less annoying, but like, 
I was like still working on getting mug when I, I think I got it in the middle of the assassination mission. Mm. The way that they do the like missiles and then you go to like garden and the stuff with Norg happens is you do the entire party doing their mission, the entire party doing their other mission, which obviously makes sense for this because it's less interconnected than the assassinated. Like the idea of you're cutting back and forth between parties is cool, Mm -hmm. but the execution is really bad and it, the execution really emphasizes how much everybody is just the same. Now, I what I will say in defense of Final Fantasy VIII is that I was playing Final Fantasy VIII in April of 2020, and so all the tedious inventory management, I had all the time in the world it's for perfect. that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was perfectly fine managing all my junctions ad nauseum. I'm, well, I think there's it, a way a that... You... In, <clears throat> I think very technically, there are, like differences in like the optimal usage of the characters but as far mm-hmm. as like because they'll have like slightly different base stats and yeah. so it'll be slightly better to make Kistas like your defense character and Renoa your um like magic character yeah. but yeah and then it's... you have like the limit breaks and you have squall has like the trigger and all that like and the yeah, it doesn't. You get the limit break so infrequently. I mean, obviously, you want to put some high attack stuff on Squall because of the like trigger thing. Squall's going to be like your physical attack powerhouse. Yeah, there is like a, still a certain amount, but it's just it feels so practically. Like, it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. doesn't. Because like if there, you just um, like spam, if you just break the game with like the junctions and stuff, like nothing matters basically. Yeah, they're well, all differentiated. That... Sorry. Yeah. Well, and th- this is the thing, too, of just, like, I I got really sickos mode as uh, into JRPGs, like, in the PlayStation era. And mm-hmm. so, while I enjoyed Final Fantasy games, I started playing other games where there was a lot of difference between, like, parties and party composition and battles were such a thing. Which, granted, I don't think it's, like, Final Fantasy is not really about good battle design to me. I don't think it's ever been its real focus. I mean, there's, like, still some interesting stuff, but can, there are other JRPGs that are really about giving you good battles. I would disagree to, with this because I have played fewer RPGs than you have. Yeah. To me, it's more about... Like, Final Fantasy battles are more of, like, a puzzle than, like, a tactical... Yeah. A, but I don't, like, a turn-by-turn turn tactical agree, thing. I don't agree with this because the other big one I played at the time is Chrono Cross, which is the puzzle battles game. Mm-hmm. It is the game where you, you go... You cannot level grind. There are hard difficulty walls where you have to learn the systems and how to use the systems and the puzzles of the systems of, like... There are there are bosses that you come into where it's like you need to now understand how to use buffs and debuffs and if you're not you are, you won't win and not in the the way of there are sometimes a puzzle battle that you will encounter in Final Fantasy where it's like oh you have to like cast reflect on the party or what you know right you There's have to the, use the demi famous, yeah mm. yeah like you can only use yeah. demi or you have to like junction bio to your attack yeah like, right and. You know, blah, blah, blah. It's all stuff like that. I mean, you can brute force your way through for the most part. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that it's uh, of the highest complexity possible. Um, 
but to me that the, the battle design and the boss design seems to revolve more around like anticipation and like guessing yeah. or well, like and yeah. I, reading. The other the thing boss. is Final Fantasy games for me are really focused on the story and the characters for as sure. being the like the whole reason why it's having you switch characters is not for strategy reason or anything. It is for the story reason they want you to to play as all the characters and have different scenes with different characters. That's the whole reason why it's there. Whereas, like, when you switch a character in Chrono Cross, it is more annoying because you have to manually set up the, the element tree again. But every time that you switch a character in Chrono Cross, aside from some, like, very key, and it only happens really, like story moments where you like gain or lose access to a character or you'll have to use a character most of the time when you change a character it's because you have encountered a boss you've thought about your party composition you've said oh with the way that this boss is like i should have a green innate character and a yellow innate character because then the yellow innate character can be the dps and the green innate can like uh soak damage and like do all the healing or something um, and you're like thinking about what the party composition will be. And so then you like replace them and then you go into the different, uh, and th- like, there's definitely types, but like, there's still distinctions between characters in that, like, some will have really huge element trees where you're like, this is a very magic focused character. Their stats are very clearly different. Um, Autumn, the, you see how, the you see how it's always really just clearly like a way to go back to Chrono Cross. The, the tech skills really clearly convey personalities about the characters. Um, and so Get even though, ass. like, in terms of the story, the characters in Chrono Cross are not as, like, deeply rendered because there's so many of them and you you switch them out and they, they don't even really know who you're going to be using all the time. Mm. Like, when it comes to the combat there's personality to the way that different characters play. Mm -hmm. There's like an intentionality when you switch and like how you're going to set up a character. Like you wouldn't want to just switch elements, even if the trees were the same between different innate color characters, because you're going to want to set those trees up differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of that stuff, like this is Chrono Cross is why I became a JRPG sicko because it is, there is this like puzzle combat thing the other games are going to take even further. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, it, cause it is also like a square Enix game. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still like, I mean, it came out around the same time as final fantasy. This is part of why I'm bringing it up is it was around the same time as final fantasy eight and nine. Whereas I, after playing final fantasy eight, went and played dragon quest one and was like, Oh sick. This is like a test of my ability to survive. This is Ooh. not, there's no puzzle to this. I'm just hitting attack or fireball, but this well, is like... And that's often, like... Etrian Odyssey is one of the, like, heights of that style where yeah. more of the game is about the resource management of how far out can you go into the world before you have to retreat to, like, go to the inn or whatever. How can you, like, get enough money before you return to make it worthwhile that you went out for the and- amount you're going to have to spend to, like heal people and yeah and final fantasy final fantasy games i think are often trying to straddle the line between those two things where it's like a dungeon that's like testing the limits of your resources and how many potions you brought in or whatever mm-hmm. and then you get to a but, puzzle boss you yeah know? like a gauntlet but also, of battles yeah but also i and feel like you have to like final draw. fantasy games that's the other thing just, 
Oh, like when you when you play, and some of this too is like I, because I play Chrono Cross, like develop such a strategy mind to game. You can't grind if you if you run up against the wall with a boss, you have to figure out the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And so then going and playing other Final Fantasy games, even as a kid, after that became such a it it doesn't have the like real intense like resource management. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have. There are sometimes puzzle bosses, but they're usually pretty quick to fi- figure out if you understand the system. Mm-hmm. For me, at least, mm-hmm. um, because it's usually around uh, weakness, and if it's a really high magic like enemy, you probably want to do like reflect. Those are like the big ones mm-hmm. that they just return to. Yeah, um, which is also why I I. I like Final Fantasy three so much because it just feels like such a pure, this is kind of what a lot of Final Fantasy has been for a long time is the puzzle boss thing where, yeah, the solution is that you make your entire party dragoons. Um, that's kind of all Final Fantasy games. And it's just such a like pure version of it where you switch classes. Like you're encouraged to switch jobs all the time. And those jobs convey a lot um, and play very differently. Um, mm-hmm. and so then it's always fun when you can kind of build a normal party. That's not for the puzzle boss. That is combining the different classes, and but then Etrian Odyssey is going to blow the whole. You you make a party of different classes, mm-hmm. and then you look at the ways that they interact out of the water because it's so fucking good at that. You so. should play Dragon Quest three. I mean, I'll probably enjoy it, but yeah, yeah. Um, was that your Final Fantasy eight minute? Yeah, I don't mean which I, again. I'm I'm enjoying it, but it's just the I. As someone who's like sickos about JRPG combat, it's just the combat's not there for me, and so I'm extremely happy that I finally got the uh, no random encounters thing because I'm probably just not going to do random encounters as much <laughs> as I can for the rest of the game. Yeah, <coughs> this yeah, is but... this is so different from how I feel about Final Fantasy VIII, but I see where you're coming from for sure. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and I, the thing is, like, Final Fantasy VIII is a, is a game that you can so thoroughly break the systems. Yeah. yeah. And I am just sickos enough about JRPGs that before I even had all the elements to break it with, I already broke it with just the stuff I was doing with drawing and, and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It, it's, like... What's interesting about it is it's, like, simultaneously very player-friendly uh, and, like not also the not part being like we give you minimal or no clues to like figure this out but there's no way to know this without knowing somebody or having a guide you know (laughs) exactly yeah um Um, i mean uh, or you just fuck around and find out which i did immediately or you're 35 (laughs) yeah but (laughs) i think that's what they like want you expect you to do is to just like pay a lot of attention to detail and that's what a lot of the like game is predicated on it's bosses or like the world finding secrets in the world yeah and then Mm. but i think the core of it as you said is like the story and the characters and then like the world um yeah exploring the world and stuff and i think fundamentally the the combat has been you know, maybe it will finally throw some like wrench at me where I'll feel like, oh, it's actually is challenging me to mess with the systems. But I also feel like 
especially of this era of Final Fantasy, they were putting so much... You're getting, like, a four-disc video game, and they want people to see the discs. Mm-hmm. And so they're never going to actually make you have to, like, fully contend with the systems in order to engage with the game. Um, Final Fantasy games are always, like, you break the systems very early. Like... I talk about in Xenosaga 3 where I got to the end and I broke the system so intensely that the three-stage final boss, I did one move and it just immediately, like, abruptly cut to the ending cutscene because I did so much damage that it just skipped through the other two phases in in one hit. The, but uh... that was, like, a level of, like, me being sickos and, like, puzzling through, like, a really weird... You know, obviously the the developers probably knew people could do this, but like the number of difficult, more difficult than that end boss, optional bosses I had to do to get the items and abilities mm-hmm. to pull that shit off. That and those were like far more difficult. And there there are, and I feel like yeah, those do exist in Final Fantasy where you have the difficult there's, optional bosses. Like Omega three Omega weapon. of yeah yeah yeah. If you yeah. go fight Omega Weapon, I think you'll find. Maybe it's not on the level of like, you know, the most difficult yeah, game you've but played, like, but it's more involved in a way that like in yeah. the main story, you're not really going to encounter. Like you can right. basically, I mean, including the final boss, if you have like your junctions properly done, you're going to, you're going to more yeah. or less cruise through. But you can, you can get to the final boss and just hit attack over and over, you know? Yeah. Um, but there, there is late in the game once you get the airship sorry spoilers you get an airship in a final fantasy game i mean <laughs> i beat well, right before i beat norg the the fucking school was an airship so oh right i i was thinking of a different airship yeah but get. i also have an airship it's called the fucking school you get a different airship later in the game so that's exciting another thing that is not shocking in a final <laughs> yeah. fantasy game they just love those airships they they're love like, them. They give you one, and then they're like, ah, yeah. there's another one. I mean, that's the fun of Final Fantasy is that they're just constantly remixing mm-hmm. like various elements, and it's like how they remix it that's part of the, the fun of it. So Yeah. Um, Final but... Fantasy IX, I'm, uh, I'm like in the process of finishing it right now. It's mm-hmm. This is going back to your, your earlier comment, Neve, where you were speculating. Yeah. Um, I don't think the combat would like satisfy you to the extent you're looking for. Uh, it is more the like combat suitability of the characters is a little more defined. Um, yeah, but it's a like, similar there's like black mage. yeah. There's very clearly like a black mage, a red mage, a white mage, a knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and I assume those all play sort of like the classic Final Fantasy, like I think so. NES, NES jobs. I I have not yeah. played a ton of nine, but that is. From the little bit I've played, yeah. Yeah. But it, 8 and 9 are similar in that it, it's really, like, I think the strength of the game is the story um, first, and then characters, and then the world. Yeah. Um, and then they have systems that are, like, engaging and, and have a level of complexity. But, like, once you understand the systems, the combat is not, it's not that hard. Yeah. Um, um, but both were uh, nine is worth playing too. just like if only, I mean, you can just turn on like 
9,999 damage and play through the story if you want. Like a, like a mm-hmm. visual novel. And it's like a turn off encounters and whatever. Um, the thing is that I did that with 7 and it made me not like 7 as much. I think one of these days I need to replay 7 and actually like play do the it. RPG part. Because just mowing through it, I sort of like kind of lost engagement with it over time. Yeah. Mm. And I think this is one thing that I I feel a little... the And I want to go and like... Because I, I played a lot of 13. I played a lot of 15. I played a little bit of Lightning's Return. Mm-hmm. I want to play those, but they're also like weird enough systems that... Um, there's still like a certain curve to just like learning what those fucking systems are. But there's a certain part of me that, and I feel this when I play like Final Fantasy seven too, of just the level that I play like JRPG combat stuff. I, I encounter Final Fantasy games and I kind of just feel like I'm mowing down everything. Um, and so it is just about the story and I never quite feel pulled along by the combat in the way that I do in mm-hmm. other games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 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 other thing that I want to note about cheesing stuff in Final Fantasy VIII and just like breaking the systems open is that because I had not played a ton of JRPGs before playing eight, to me, playing eight and finding broken ass junctions that just did stupid damage or whatever had the same feeling as um when I was really young, and I'd play Morrowind, and I'd realize, oh, in the very first room, if you pick up this plate, and then you drop it before the guard comes over and gets you, you know, you can flip that plate for, like, a thousand gold. And it sounds like what you're experiencing is me playing Morrowind at 27, and being like, yeah, yeah, I know. You pick up the plate, and then you go over to the Telvani place, and you talk to the one merchant, and you buy the potions of intelligence, and you use the potions of intelligence to buff your intelligence so that you can uh, get better deals on things, so that you can buy more potions of intelligence, so that you can get more, and then you can craft the spell of infinite levitation, and then you could just no-clip through the whole game. Yeah, like, yeah. Morrowind Here's is sort exploit. of... I mean, this is yeah. also part of why I kind of bounced off of Soul Hackers too, which is that it, they just... In a, in a way that I I think is probably great for getting people into Shin Megami Tensei games, but they simplified the systems, mm-hmm. and they also did things where, like, the buff, like, the, the debuff spells that you use do damage now as well. Well, the, the Because th- people would not use it because it doesn't do damage, and you're like, well, why would I use it? And it's like, well, because they're fucking crucial to Shin Megami Tensei game. But I play... Soul Hackers 2, and I'm just like, well, everything's a cakewalk, and the- part of what I play Shin Megami Tensei games for is, it's it's like fairly, there, there's obviously still the patterns of like weaknesses and stuff, but there's still a lot of like, you, you're you just planning out how your one more turns are going to like, mm-hmm. or your, your, you know, next or whatever, you know, various ones, your press turns, all those sorts of things. You're planning out how those are going to do. You're like thinking about the party composition, even in terms of who has the agility. So, so this person will go before this person so that I can properly tune the press turns or whatever. Um, there's like a lot of that stuff going into it, even if, you know, the, Shin Megami Tensei 4 still has a lot of stuff where it's kind of just knowing, well, okay, this, like, demon is weak against Zeo, and I'm going to use Zeo against it. Right. Um, there's still enough sco- stuff going on there. And then when you get to the end of that, when you break Shin Megami Tensei games, you have it where, like, you know, you'll make a, a demon 
where literally every single like thing that they could be hurt by is like null or reflect or absorb or something. And it's just like, nothing can hurt you. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the optional boss at the end that you can like play and fight. And then the boss has done that. And you're like, well, fuck, how do I get around it? Cause I made the invincible person, but now I have to figure out the trick to get around the invincible person. Well, but the thing that I'm saying with the Morrowind stuff is more that when I was young, I would find a small exploit in Morrowind and I'd be so excited about this, like, ooh, I got away with something. And now I'm older, and it's kind of hard to go back to Morrowind because you have to you have to decide, I'm not going to do that exploit that I've done a thousand times. Yeah. I've gone and made the potion of buff intelligence because I know that is just how you can do... You, you get that and you win the game. Like, there is no challenge in, in, in the game at that yeah. point. The joy um, of, like, discovery... Is yeah. really it when you you talking about that? It makes me think about the first time I played Fallout Three, mm-hmm. when like I walk out of the vault, and I must have been like fifteen or fourteen or whatever it was, and I'd never played a game like that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I hadn't played Skyrim yet or anything. Um, well, Skyrim wasn't out yet, so. <laughs> oh well, yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> No one had played Skyrim yeah. yet. You had right, played so, uh, Morrowind or whatever that uh, one. Oblivion. Oblivion. No, yeah, yeah I hadn't. Um, <laughs> and so you go out, like you leave the vault, and it's like, oh my fucking god! Like this whole mm-hmm. map, and then I just start wandering, and I yeah. like find some shack, and I'm like, okay, yeah. And there's a dead body. Like I'm exploring. I'm still psyched. I go upstairs in this like abandoned shack. There's a dead body. He's got a hunting rifle. I'm like, oh yeah, hunting rifle. Like, I just got a way yeah. better gun than yeah. I had. Like, and then I just keep walking, and it's like, okay, here's a ru- like ruined city, mm-hmm. and this like raider jumps out at me, and I just and, like and shoot him in the you- head, and like go to his body, and it's like fucking rocket launcher. Like, now I have a rocket launcher. Are you shitting me? <laughs> right. And, yeah. uh, and, and yeah. in Fallout 3, if you keep walking in that straight line, eventually you're going to hit, like, super mutants that are going to wreck your shit. And you're going to be like, oh, okay, I can't go over there yet. Yeah. Um, whereas now, if I'm going to boot up Fallout 3 again, I know, okay, I'm going to beeline for Megaton. I'm going to do all that shop lady's quests because I get good loot out of it. Then I'm going to go and hang out with 3Dog because I fucking love 3Dog. And then I'm going to yep. kind of turn off the game because I don't really care anymore. I remember all the other content other than 3Dog. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the the sad thing about it. That's why you have mods. <laughs> that's why you have mods. Yeah. It's why yeah. I've put down Starfield until they put out mods for Starfield because I'm like, okay, I've seen most of the content. Not all the content, but I've seen most of the stuff that I want to see in Starfield. I'll come back when there are mods in this game. Yeah, but I—I I mean, I—I I think there's still ways that like certain games have enough complexity and enough difficulty that even if you don't have that full same joy of like discovery and figuring out how to break everything, there's still like a certain amount where you where you can continue, like, maybe you're like, well, I know I have this strategy that really works with the party composition that I did in Etrian Odyssey 4, but I'm going to try a very different party composition now. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I can't try a different party composition in Final Fantasy VIII. I can maybe do different 
Guardian Forces on different characters right. than I currently have, but that's also not going to substantially change. If I ever replay 8, it'll be to see the story again. Yeah. There's no other yeah. reason to replay yeah. 8, you know? Whereas, like... Even with Chrono Cross, there's so many characters that I can pull in a different character and see how that character, how can I build a slightly different party that's not just, oh, I'm going to fight the Hydra, so I'll have a yellow innate character, and probably my only yellow innate is Poshul, but maybe I have another one, and I have a green innate because I, I know to go rescue Razly, so I'm going to have Razly be my main healer for the fight, and then I also know that if I have Razly in my party... Uh, or no, in that one, Razzly's the, the DPS, because mm-hmm. it's yellow, I think, the Hydra. Um, but then I also know that if I have Razzly in my party, then she'll discover the the baby Hydra or whatever. You know what game's really good for this? What? Well, so, like, right now, Valin is a half-drow um, uh, ranger, and I t- gave her the, like, Beastmaster subclass, and so she... We didn't time this right. <laughs> Okay. The 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 uh hollow advent like collab thing at the end of them revealing all of their uh outfits is about to end instead of begin. <laughs> you were gonna watch the hollow advent thing while we talked about Baldur's Gate. <laughs> you all wanna see Narissa's outfit before you talk about Baldur's Sh- Gate? Show me Narissa's outfit. I'm also gonna post the meme that I made so that Connor can see it. Okay. Um, okay, perfect. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Um, here. Uh, Connor, are you able to to see a tweet if I send a tweet, or should I just, just do the, the actual image. images? Yeah, I'll just... Yeah, just share the uh, image. And I don't send, know how to work send the image. that. Um, this one's a little bit blurry, but, um, you know, we, we, got, a, we got a couple. <laughs> Thank you. I was pretty happy um, with that. I thought of it during the movie last night, and I was like, I can't forget this. This is so good. <laughs> Um, she also has, oh, here's with the, the umbrella. I just want to make sure cause you know, there's like various little components that come. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I need, I need that. I need the optimal selection. Yeah. Of the... I guess I'll send the static version of the, the new like waiting screen mm-hmm. as well. But, um, okay. I'll send this stuff in chat. Uh, here we go. We got like a, a, a collection here. I noticed that every time I've tried to talk about Baldur's Gate 3, you've <laughs> diverted me. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it, I, at least... Quality outfit. I think it's funny how, how Neve was, like, pretending to be excited that we were going to geek out about Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> and, like, thought it was funny. But in reality, she's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I need to just, like, find something else to do when this happens. <laughs> This is a very good Nerissa outfit, I must this, say. Yeah, Nerissa, uh, I guess she's celebrating the Ravens getting the number one seed in the AFC. <laughs> this is a great like celebration outfit. Um, I, I haven't watched all the other outfit ones. I like briefly looked at Shiori's, but I didn't get like a full view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was waiting for Nerissa's to start, I watched a little bit of Bibu's. Uh, and there's like a like hat thing with Bibu that I did not like, but Nerissa's mm. um, like and I have no idea. I'm so glad I like. hired Todd Monken as my offensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good uh, idea. I, I honestly should have done that like three years ago. It should have just canned Greg Roman yeah. much earlier when I 
like like everyone was saying uh that's what i'm getting like that's the vibe i'm getting from these photos yeah what what, what about the hat sorry i just oh bibu's hat not Nerissa's. Nerissa oh, does not I should. Uh, I mean... They're all like kimono. I, I'm assuming Fuamoko's were also kimono. I'm I'm surprised you didn't watch Fuamoko's, Connor, because I know you're really into Fuamoko. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just kind of like they're just really been like rubbing me the wrong way lately. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I just gotta take a break. I think. Oh, those those are cute. So. Yeah, I'm Man. I'm taking a break. I don't I don't even want to see it. <laughs> okay, I, I won't I won't send you Fuamoko's. Uh, don't don't Fumonoko's post it because if you do, I'm I'm gonna like I'm gonna be lured back in. Here's my Baldur's Gate three guy for you, Connor. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, talk. Go ahead and talk about Baldur's Gate three. This is uh this, so this is Valen. Like I say, she's a ranger with the Beastmaster subclass, and she is. Uh, she has swords. I don't know the last time she's used them. She is mostly an archer. Um, and then my party has mostly been Will, because he's hot, um, okay. has been, um, Carlac because she's really hot, and, um, <laughs> Literally. Gail, <laughs> she's, she's extremely, she will burn you if she touches yeah. you. <laughs> she's, like, literally, like... Dying because she's so hot, <laughs> and 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 Gail, who is extremely cringe and annoying, and um, but yeah. magic missile is a good spell to have. <laughs> it's okay, good to have. so you, you told you said you're you've almost played through Act One, so this is not like a recent picture. No, this is this is pictures from a couple of days ago. So basically, where I'm at in Act One, I've gone through a pretty good chunk of the Underdark, and then um, okay. I, I have to go... The next thing I have to do is go kill uh, Nier, N-E-R-E. Yeah. Um, uh, and I met a bunch of Dwergar, and I was... Okay. So, with when you meet the goblins early on in the game, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. D&D has, like, racism built into it. And I don't want to be the person who's just going to kill the goblins because I think goblins are evil. But then, like, you go to the goblin camp, and they're being evil all the time. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm killing all the goblins in the goblin camp. Um, and so I, I meet the Dwergar. Wow, you racist. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I meet the Dwergar, and I'm like, all right, this time I really, I don't want to be just killing the Dwergar because Dwergar are evil. It's D U E R. I know, but it it's not because it's an old Norse word. <laughs> sure, for dwarf or dark elf. Okay, and I well, let's, there, let's there's like a there. Go ahead and clarify uh, the Dverger, pronunciation so we can. Dverger and Oliver are like sometimes seem to be separate beings and sometimes seem to be the same beings, mm-hmm. but like the Dverger are often going to be the ones that are going to be like your smiths. Um, and the ones that might be associated with the mountains and things and are like where dwarf, like mm-hmm. dwarf is like related etymologically and socially and culturally to that idea. And Oliver is like etymolo- etymologically and every elf. Okay. And then Tolkien takes those words and just uses them because a lot of Lord of the Rings is based on either Old Norse or 
uh, old English. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's why we, where we get Elf and Dwarf. And then D&D does Lord of the Rings, um, but then they just use the Old Norse mm-hmm. word again, but they change it slightly and they make it a W because the V to W shift is really common. So, so anyway, um, <laughs> I don't uh, yep, sound so rude. No, no. I just, but I was in the middle the, of a thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So basically where I'm at in act one, I'm on my way to meet the Dwergar and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to give in to D&D's like fantasy racist ways. I'm going to give these Dwergar a chance. And the thing about Valen is that she's very like, like I say, she's a beast master. I've got a bear companion. I've got an owl bear cub companion. I've got a dog. Um, oh yeah, the owl I, bear is good. The owl bear is good as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I cast speak with animals first thing every day when I wake up. Like yep. I'm very connected to. I'm connected to nature, and I want like Valen in my mind. She's like wants people to be like free and like freedom yeah. and independence is like a thing that for her. And you meet the Dwergar, and the first thing is they're like, are you bringing us more slaves? We love slaves. We especially <laughs> love whipping slaves. Oh, sometimes I prefer to cane the slaves, but whipping's pretty good too. Oh, I'd love to buy some slaves. And I'm like, well, I guess all of you are fucking dying. <laughs> I, like, don't even speak to the Dwergar anymore. I met one who's like, I don't like slaves. I'm like, you're living then. And every other one, I've, like, introduced myself, and they're like, ooh, I love slavery. And I'm like, okay, attack. <laughs> um, oh, you just attack them instantly? Yeah. It's it extra okay. weird to do the, the like... <coughs> Steeped in racism, uh, this is a black-coated race. Yes. But then they are the slavers. Yes. So Nor- th- there is... <laughs> Very d d <laughs> Yeah. Th- there is a way... Uh, hmm. How should I put this? At, well, you- we, di- we discussed spoilers at, uh, off-pod earlier today. I said I'd yeah. be mindful Nora- but not stressed. Yeah, so. Nora, like, I keep asking Nora questions about things that will happen to me in the future. So, like, don't worry about it too much. There's a way to not just, like, kill all of the Dwergar. Uh, That's th- good to know, but also they love slavery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a way that, like... So, kind of... Kind of what's happening is, like... Are they, like, being tricked into loving slavery by this Kethric Thorm guy or whatever? Not exactly. Okay. Um, you have, like, the Dwergar that are there are more, like, mercenaries or whatever. Okay. That are just, like, working for Kethric's faction, basically. Okay. okay. Uh, and then the people that they're imprisoning are, like, the... Um, the gnomes or, or whatever. They're forcing them right. to, like, do this excavation. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, like I say, I met the one who's like, I don't like slavery. And I was like, okay, well, you can live. So I'll just keep talking to them. And if they're like, oh, I love having slaves, I'm like, all right. Swords out time. <laughs> there's a way that you can be like, hey, like, I'm... I know your entire economy is probably based around this, but, <laughs> but you can be like, you consider that owning slaves is bad. <laughs> well, you can be like, hey, like, I'm breaking the slaves out of here. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you want to do about that? 
Like, I'm going to roll intimidation. I'm freeing these slaves. And if if I fail this intimidation check, it's swords time. And if I pass, you're going to be like, no, we're not fucking with you. Or like, yeah. Or they'll be like, you know what? Like, the guy we're working for, yeah, he kind of fucking blows. Like, <laughs> actually. And it's fine. Like, here, we, like, we'll take this money or whatever. Okay. And you can, like, break the slaves out. And okay. we'll just, like, kill this guy together. Okay. Because, uh, like, yeah, actually, this guy fucking blows. Like, we don't like this guy either. <laughs> We're just, like, these, like, battle-worn, like, hardened mercenaries. Okay. And we don't really, like... We're just, like... <laughs> we don't really care about, like, either way what's going on. Uh, we just care about, like, getting paid and all that. Okay. Um, I... I probably could have finished out Act 1 today, but instead what I ended up doing was... So, I had gone to the Goblin Camp early in Act 1, and I persuaded my way in, mm-hmm. and I go... I, I kind of explore, and I start fights that I know I can't win, and I, I, I reload a save. And I'm exploring, and I found Halson way back in the back of the Goblin Camp. Mm-hmm. And with, with Halson's help, we cleaned up. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, we, we... That's a fun... That's a fun fight. It's really good. Um, but the problem became that, like... So, basically, you clear out the whole, like, inside of the camp, but there's the outside, and Halson was like, oh, we cleared out the inside, you've, like, fl- triggered my flag for going home now. Uh, which is fine, but I was like, oh, I'm not tough enough yet to... Um, go fight all these goblins outside the camp. And so I fast traveled out of there. Mm-hmm. And today, instead of finishing act one, what I did was I went and cleaned that goblin camp back out. I went and did another little side quest, like up on the surface above the underdark that I hadn't done before, uh, which was very funny because I walked into a cave. And once again, these people were like, oh, look, we got a slave. Do you want to buy our slave? And I was like, all right, motherfucker, it's pistols at dawn. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and... This was, like, right before Nora got home, and so, like, when, when Nora got home with the groceries, I was like, yeah, so I wandered into this cave, and they had a slave, and now I have 3,000 gold! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, have so you, we're having uh, a pretty good time. <laughs> have, you, have you met Auntie Ethel yet? Have you, like, done Yes! That? That's okay. a really fun quest. That's the most, like, Witcher 3 quest. That's yes. a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it is, uh, it's extremely Witcher three. And, uh, how did, how did you end up resolving the, the thing at the end where, so Nia, for context, you meet, you meet a hag, witch named Ethel and she's like, got a woman, uh, and she's got a woman, huh? <laughs> not like that. Oh, so I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to go save the princess. She, yeah. Or she's got a milf. <laughs> she does have a milf. I and I'm like I'm going to go save this damsel in distress basically. Yeah. Um and we fight um and then th- it turns out the damsel in distress she wanted to be there because she's going to bring her husband back. Um Connor, how did you resolve the the situation with the dead husband and the wife because I'm kind of curious other paths this could go down? <clears throat> um I was basically like how did I, 
I can't remember the exact dialogue options, but I was mm. basically like, okay, yeah, like, because uh, she's like, well, my my husband is resurrected or whatever, and like, I can't remember if the dialogue option is to decide whether she like resurrects him or not, or just like what she does after. Yeah, uh, what I did is she leaves the cave, and then while I was in the cave, I picked up the wand that is supposed to resurrect him. And so I think you can decide whether or not you resurrect him, or you want to give her the wand, maybe, or whatnot. You know? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So I, ge- I give her the wand, uh, and she resurrects her husband, and then it's like, you know, a monkey's paw. Or not quite mm-hmm. monkey's paw, because her husband isn't, like, murderous or anything, he's just a zombie. Yeah, he's and just then, like a mindless zombie corpse walking around. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like devastated, and she's mm-hmm. like, "What do I? What do I do?" And I was basically like, and she's kind of like wanting to keep him around. Yeah, uh, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, like keep him around. Like you never know what might happen." <laughs> I <laughs> like you I, down the road. <laughs> I basically did the same thing. I'm like, you have your personal freedom, but out loud, outside of the video game, she's like, like, before I resurrected the husband, she's like, now I'm going to have to drag his coffin all the way back to Baldur's Gate to revive him. And I'm like, do you? Maybe you could just accept that your husband died (laughs) rather than dragging a coffin across the countryside. (laughs) Yeah, just just leave him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was basically like, Let's leave this open ended. Like, who yeah, knows that's what you might what find I did out as well. there? This is a crazy. I mean, it's Baldur's Gate three. Yeah, you know, we'll see. He could unzombie the unzombify potion or whatever. Right. Uh. So, that's how I resolve that. Mm-hmm. Um. I I I do want to say, the fact that you are an archer right now. Yeah. Uh, is just so like. It makes me so excited because the one thing I keep telling whenever someone is like in the early stages of playing the game, like I have a couple of coworkers who are like, Oh, I'm thinking about playing it or mm-hmm. I started to play through. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Like it's awesome. Experiment with the classes. It's really fun. Neve, this is a game where classes matter a lot. The, uh, yeah. That's the thing. And yeah. I'm like, experiment with the classes. I played like, Dungeons and Dragons on also, other Baldur's Gate games. <laughs> oh, you played... Okay, I didn't realize you played the other yeah. Baldur's Gate stuff. Um, I don't know if I played two, but I know I at least played one. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I played one that. as well. Um, I played some ago. Morrowind back in the day, hmm. um, but I was also had just played Dungeons & Dragons before, so I think it blew my mind less than it blew yours. Yeah, I Because I played it, and I was just like, this is so much more limited than yes. when we just played D&D. Why would we just play D and D? I was seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Whereas I had I, my D and D friend that I played D and D with, showing me other stuff that you could do in Morrowind, and I was like, "We can do more than this if we just play D and D right now." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I haven't played a lot of D and D, so that might be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have think not you're probably either. divided. Like people who play a lot of D and D are probably either like super stoked on Baldur's Gate three or like mm-hmm. not at all. Um, but anyway, the thing I keep telling people is don't sleep on Archer because that's one it's, of like the most fun builds for, for me at least. I think so too. I'm, I'm really enjoying just the like, like 
it's a very simple loop, but there's like just enough variation, you know, because like because uh, I was doing the like stealthy archer build for a little while, and mm-hmm. then I respect over to the um, the like, rogue archer is good. Yeah, uh, the rogue and, archer is really good, and then the ranger, the the classes, well, also probably not, I mean obvious from a D and D standpoint, they differentiate like a lot more and very rewardingly, like at higher levels. Yeah. Uh, so the stuff, the ranger gets a lot better at like the higher levels. Yeah. As soon as I hit level five and my, my bear companion turned into, it was, it's, it's gone from Ursa to Ursa major, which I was really pleased with. <laughs> and it wears a helmet now and it has an attack where it can make, uh, enemies drop their weapons. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I got that changeover, I was like, Oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will say, I, I've been, like, Baldur's Gate 3 is the game that I, I would think about playing. Some of mm. that it just seems like it's a big time sink game. And it I is. I don't have time yeah. for It is a time massive. Sink. Yeah. I am, so, I am 27 hours in, and I'm almost done with Act 1, you know? Yeah. I mean, I... And also, also, I'm level 5 out of 12, you know? <laughs> I replayed a lot of parts to get Mm. like different outcomes and i was very i mean i played through slowly and blah 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 other caveats but my playthrough like i told you all earlier it was like two it's like 200 plus hours um that's kind of the camp that nora's in nora has made like seven different characters two of them are in act three a lot of them like she's just going through and just like i'm gonna see how does this quest go if i did this other quest differently because there is there are so, so many things where, like... Things change a lot. The, the, yeah. The best thing about... Well, one of the best things about Baldur's Gate 3 is that it forces you to, like, make highly consequential and difficult choices over and over again without mm-hmm. having, like... Even with only having, like, a fraction of the information you need to make the choice. Yeah. It just like which thrusts was, these choices on you. Which was to me the the biggest friction point I had early on. I'm really glad that I had Nora because Nora, like, she knows D D inside and out. She knows all the differences between second, third, fourth, and fifth edition, and this is a fifth edition game. Um, you know, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of like choices you're making in the game where you don't know the consequences of them at first. And there's also a lot of, like, Dungeons and Dragons stuff where I would be like, I did this attack and I didn't understand that it would have this effect. And that was that was very frustrating to me early on. And so I've been very glad to have, like, Nora as a resource to lean on for explaining the gameplay side of it so that I can enjoy, you know, the, the story side of it, not knowing the consequences so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played D and D since third edition, Thir- three point five. Right, three point five. Generally, when people say third edition, I assume they mean three point five. Oh yeah. Um, um, I I kind of came to the game like as more of a fan of Larian games, uh, as a like as opposed to D and D. Hmm. Um, I played Baldur's Gate one and like enjoyed it but it's just like uh, sometimes Baldur's Gate 1 is just like uh, 
Like, what the... I, where the fuck am I going? What am I doing? Like... Yeah. Oh. I have been watching a Let's Play of Baldur's Gate 1, and it seems very just like, why the fuck is this game like this sometimes? Yeah. Like, I appreciate that it's a great game, and I think mm-hmm. I appreciate why. Uh, but the quality of life is, like, very low. Right. Uh, and... So I kind of like had that. I'm glad that I had a little bit of that going into BG3. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm like a big fan of, of Larry and stuff. Uh, and so I I love Baldur's Gate 3. I think mm-hmm. I'm also at a point where I can be like, I think I have uh, balanced feelings now, even though I love the game. There's mm-hmm. a way that like, so first thing I'll say, uh, Divinity Two or Original Sin Two is like an unbelievable game in my opinion. Uh, I'm I'm gonna interrupt real quick. I need to run to the restroom. Uh, sorry, I will be right back. Okay. Okay, I'll just talk to to Neve about <laughs> Baldur's Gate Three. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, or we get, we should all just take a body break. Um. Yeah, I mean we can do a body break. Does that work? Because I kind of need to as well. Sure. I'll make mark. Okay. See the very tiny crane that I folded? Yes. 
What did you fold that with? Um, a little bit of a Ricola wrapper. <laughs> the the like inner one, the one that's like the thin piece that's wrapped around the actual candy, mm. not the like outer wrapper. That's very cute. I could try and fold one with the the main wrapper too. It would just it'll be lar- a lot larger. So. Yeah. Well, you might have time. Um, yeah. If we keep talking about Baldur's Gate three. Um, I know you're just oh, you like, know those those that Nana Satya that I I sent the it's like up in the chat. Yeah. Um, supposed to come on Wednesday. So. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Hopefully, um, there will be no damages. I did do the the like shipping and the other insurance. So, um, my guess is since it was a limited run, I I doubt that they would send like a replacement. But you get like some money back that would like if you have to do repairs or whatever. So mm. it like depends on the extent of the, the damage, how much you get back. So, yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully there won't be any damage. Yeah. Did you have, was there reason to, to think that there would be? Um, well, so the, the biggest thing is like when I was looking, I don't think, um, obviously they have like photos of like, which I assume are a few cases that they encountered, um, for like, this is what, like the extent of the damage would look like. Um, but when I looked into it, most people were like, you know, I didn't have any issue with it or anything. Um, but it is still, it's like a resin statue, not like a PVC one. Um, and it, it ships from overseas cause it's like made somewhere in, um, in Asia. And then like you as part of it, cause it's like such a custom, uh, limited edition thing. Um, you do the actual, like, uh, you know, amount that it is for like the freight on like a ship, um, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it is just like a risk with, with resin statues, especially one that's like going to ship from overseas rather than like one where, um, you know, uh, somebody is like able to have it in stock in the U S like, even if it's shipped, you know, they get it in stock and they probably check it and, um, Right. Have some sort of, you know, part of their business model where they can, um, you know. Replace it. Yeah, replace it or, um, you know, get the amount back to, like, you know, fit whatever the costs or whatever. Um, yeah, that's a lot more of, like, because, like, the, the other ones above, the, like, Nanahachi separate ones. Um, those I, like, pre-ordered, but it's, like, that was a much larger run. And so, like... Uh, the one I pre-ordered it from still did the updates of like, oh, here's like, you know, it's shipped from like the, on the boat or whatever and stuff. Um, but my guess, like, I, I ended up once seeing the Nananhachi, like these ones in a store, um, like a specialty store, but like, you know, there was like stock. So I'm sure people like stocked and if, if something was damaged, was dealing with it. So there's like a, and it's also PVC, which is just less fragile. So got it. Um, yeah, it's a thing where, where I'm not anticipating anything, but I was also like, eh, I, this is like a big limited edition thing. I'm, I, I'm all, I'm already spending money on this. I might as well do the insurance just in case. So, oh yeah, no question. Anything that's above like 300 bucks, I feel like is 
wise to yeah. insure. Which this is a little above 300 before shipping. Um, and then the shipping is also not the cheapest. So and I think yeah. if it's like, if it's damaged um, in the course of shipping to you, uh, like the, the shipping insurance is like, I think you, you basically get a refund on the shipping because they damaged it. But then there's like the other insurance for the item itself. So Okay, good. Yeah, I'm looking at them on eBay right now. And there's, they're ranging from like 455 to 500 something. Yeah. I mean, when, when the pre-order was like a little over, it was like 350, I think. So yeah. But yeah. People, like people got a would, good deal. Yeah. Well, I did the like limited edition pre-order thingy. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You'll complete your not a shelf. Your shrine. Mm-hmm. Um, I am making the larger crane now. Um, mm-hmm. That's good. Which will also be more colorful because it's from the outer wrapper. Um, but it's also much faster going because it is much larger. So I'm not having yeah. to like very delicately try to I just maneuver. finished my beer. I think I'm... Uh, I don't think I need a second so I one. Sit down. I guess... I'm back. Sorry for cutting you off a moment ago, Connor. No, you're fine. Um, I was like getting, I, I was beginning to ramble, so it actually helped to stop and <laughs> cut my thoughts. Uh, also, the like, just uh, stopping abruptly to take like a, a bathroom break or a body break is now becoming like a running joke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Which... little behind on Ghost Divers. I think I've listened through everything in November. I think I'm just, I need to listen to the December episodes. Okay. Well, yeah, don't, don't feel bad. It's a Puton thing anyway. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were two Puton in a row. Mm-hmm. We recorded it the same night. But, oh. Um, actually we didn't. It definitely wasn't the same night. Oh, right. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. But, uh, yeah, one, I, I got up to get something that was, like, related to what we were talking about. I don't remember what it was or why. I um, demanded that you provide proof of, like, oh, the, yeah, it's that in there here. was a hamburger grill-out thing. Yeah, well, uh, Culver's fundraiser Col- hamburger yeah, thing. Yeah, right, that's what it was. Something uh, hamburger-related. Oh, sure. So, yeah, I went to get that because Connor demanded it. And then... I was um, I was looking at the Ghost Divers chat and wondering why you were posting this when it came up. I I have I have Puton access that no one else has. I guess I mean like a couple people have. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think Kim listens to Puton, but Kim would be able to see it. But also, um, it's not just that. It's that I also I get notifications whenever anybody posts in this Discord because I've never bothered. Most Discords I go in and change it, but this one I never have. And so I'm sure it's like infrequent you. enough that it's like. Not annoying. It's just like, oh, they're recording. Yeah, Puton. it's a. It'll be a Wednesday night, and I'll be like, why is Nia posting this Culver's flyer? <laughs> Don't worry about um, it. <laughs> yeah, but then the a, a week later, we are recording, and I I very suddenly and intensely had to go to the bathroom. And yeah, it's just like you got to fill time, Connor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I not to be TMI, but I'm uh uh. 
five weeks late currently because of uh, insurance problems on some gut-related medicine I'm supposed to take. And so lately, when I need to go to the bathroom, it's like, okay, I have to go right now. (laughs) Totally understandable. (laughs) Um, I would like the insurance to give me my fucking medicine. Yeah, that's ridiculous that they have you on, on that long of a wait. Yeah. Anyway... Um, um okay you want to you want to get back into it yeah mm-hmm. i'm done with the crane by the way oh. it's a nice looking crane beautiful um yeah well so i guess to like kind of keep it brief <laughs> uh <laughs> and keep that's been the theme of our Baldur skate three discussion yeah yeah Gravity. definitely uh <laughs> so i'm a big fan of divinity original sin 2 uh Baldur's gate 3 improves on almost all aspects of that game uh okay in in my opinion uh Mm. like in terms of just like um well in in various ways uh and and therefore is one of the best games i've ever played however it's Mm -hmm. there's also a way that Baldur's gate 3 is like a b plus game I really feel this because it's like genuinely like it is shocking how complex this game is. And it's like, oh, my God, just like the the all the different ways your choices cascade. It's like it kind of makes it default one of the best games I've ever played. Yeah. And also sometimes it is just junk food. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I had that goblin camp. I never finished clearing out. I'm just going to I spent 15 minutes on my break today just like. Killing gobos, you know, yeah. I'm just rolling my dice, shooting my bow. <laughs> yeah, just like grinding out like areas yeah. of the map, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, the, yeah, like you said, the complexity, the level of content, uh, like, I don't think the, the systems are the most complex, uh, but they're, they're very good, in my opinion. The combat, again, very good. Um, it's like, as a game, it's an amazing achievement. Uh, but I think, like, the writing is not that great, to be honest. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of the writing that I enjoy. And then I, like, think about the main plot, and I'm like, it's not that good. <laughs> it's not, like, yeah, the story at no point has been like particularly compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not normally a person who like, I'm not highly critical about like, Oh, look at this uh, monumental game. That is just like, I will, I'll enjoy playing for hundreds of hours and like, but whatever it like has a bad, this romance isn't very well thought out. Like I'm not that nitpicky, uh, mm-hmm. but the romances are just like they're not that well thought out again in my in my opinion. No, uh, I'm really enjoying the romance with Carlac, but it's frustrating because like very early on, like I got a lot of romance stuff and yep. then it's just like I guess I don't get fucking anything until act 2 at a certain point, you know? Yeah. And it's like not very well paced a lot yes. of the time. 
Um, did they fix the bug where everyone's always horny? No, that's a feature, my okay. friend. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it was well, they're a bug, horny, but, but they're I, not. Yeah. Like, like, people are horny, but you're not really, like... I guess it depends on who you're who you're romancing. Uh, but you'll, like, very early on, it will be like, okay, like... <laughs> I'm... I'm reducing it, but very early on, it will be like, someone in camp... Just, like, complete non-sequitur, for no apparent reason, would be like, okay, yeah, like, I want to fuck you. And you're like, okay, yeah, like, let's do it. And then they're like, okay, cool, like, see you, bye. And then you just, like, flirt for, like, an act and a half. And then it's finally, like... That's basically what happened with me and Lizelle. Like, literally the third time I rested, she was like, you down to bone? And I was like, sure. And then Lizelle has not had any more dialogue with me. Since then. <laughs> yeah. Which maybe for like Sometimes for her it'd be like that. Yeah. Maybe for her character, it this is like working accidentally. In yeah. that case. Uh you're not gonna text me again after that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this makes way more sense for her than it would for like Gail, who is the clingiest motherfucker, you know? Yeah. Um and then it's just like the actual dialogue and, and the romance stuff, it is quite stilted. And then you, mm. when you add that on to, like, the pacing is weird and not really logical, uh, it's just, like, unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you guess who I who I romanced in my playthrough? Um, I'm going to go with Shadowheart. Y- yes. <laughs> you guessed correctly. <laughs> and I, not Asterian? No, not Asterian. Uh, if I uh, was going to guess a male character, I would have guessed Will for for Connor. Uh, I think if I was going to romance a male character, it probably would have been Asterian. Okay, fair enough. G- Gale is just like extremely off putting to me. <laughs> uh, Nora Nora made an excellent point the other day, which unfortunately I can't replicate on a podcast because it, w- it was involved her facial expressions. But she said the issue with Gale is that they don't animate his eyebrows, and so he's doing all these, like, quippy lines, but he's kind of just staring you dead in the eyes the whole time. Yeah. I don't don't know. His whole thing is just, like, whatever. I watched watched a lot of his romance scenes because Nora did them, and then Nora immediately dumped him because she was like, I don't actually like this guy that much. Yeah. I almost got, like... Cause he's like really aggressive about romancing you as mm-hmm. well. And he was like, Oh, let's hang out later. Like, I want to show you something. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, sure. And then we like, and then he's like, I get there and it's like, Oh, like now let's fuck. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, you I, like, I let's hang out. Experience. I'm not Let trying me to a really cute photo. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I'll give you my phone number. I immediately sends you a dick pic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, what? No. Like I thought you were going to show me something cool. Like, and we were going like, to just hang out and have it be like, but like, I definitely didn't want this scale. Like <laughs> we had this, this is really not nice. Just, yeah. <laughs> we had this really nice scene of him showing me how to do magic. And then, like, the last dialogue option in the scene is, like, lean in for a kiss. And I was like, let the moment, I've selected let the moment pass. I didn't even select, like, 
tell him off, be like, oh, get away from me. I selected just let him down gently, and he was like, I'm not, I'm not crying, there's just dust in my eye, bro. And I'm like, like, dude, this is not even a first date. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't even agree for this to be a date. Like, there was no, yes. we had no lead up to this, there's like no precedent yeah. here, like... You just you told me have... you were gonna help me with my golf swing, and then you reached around. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You just like made all of these assumptions. So yeah, yeah, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like Gail. And then Asterian, Asterian is like, he's the character that they kind of set up to make you think like he's gonna be the one to do that, mm-hmm. and then he just like doesn't. Yeah, he's like. like... Asterion just like saw me romancing Shadowheart and he was like, oh, okay, yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, like. (laughs) It's hard to figure out sometimes because, like, it. He feels like such. In the same way as, like, a Fire Emblem Three Houses character, he feels like fan art bait. But then, like, they're the. He's, like, the only character where they actually, like, take his romance plotline slow because it's, like,. I had a dialogue with him early on where he's where I was like I'm interested in you but not that interested. He's like okay I understand and then like <laughs> we haven't we haven't had more dialogue about it since then. But I'm like this could come back up at some point. You know we haven't like it's not like Gale where let one... him do a little blood drinky. Well, I, that's I, how I it starts little... off. Actually, he tries to like <laughs> yeah, drink your blood while you're okay. Yeah, he tries to drink your Nerissa blood while you're Nerissa is obsessed with Baldur's Gate three, so I have oh. also learned a fair amount with it. And and she. Uh, hated Asterion the first time that she saw him, and then the moment that she learned that he'll do a little blood drink, he completely 180'd on him. I felt a little bad because he drank my blood, and then I selected a... I wanted to select the dialogue option that was like, we need to talk before the next time we drink my blood, but I think I misunderstood it, and it was like, oh, he doesn't drink my blood anymore. I'm like, you could have drank my blood, bro. It's, you know, you just ha- I just have to get consent first, is all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it, but it's weird. Like he starts off with that and then you're like, you set a boundary and then he's like, okay, yeah, got it. Like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. I'm cool now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unlike Gale. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Gale. And then, yeah, all the other ones are like, I don't know. I wasn't even, I wasn't even that into Shadowheart. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that romance is not that interesting. Even that's the one that I I, I did, um, and even that like you see it through to the end and like I, I like her story, but the romance isn't that interesting. It's just Nora. It, Nora is doing a dark urge playthrough, and she's also romancing Shadowheart. And yeah. I will say that if you do the dark urge stuff, that romance does seem more interesting because there's like an actual point of conflict between the two of you. You know well, that. Yeah, I so I, full disclosure, I'm doing a dark urge playthrough oh, okay, as well. Okay, okay, um, and yeah, I mean, th- there is stuff. It, it's not bad, but it's not like wow, this is a great. I'm I'm okay. highly invested in this relationship. Nora Nora is highly invested in this relationship, but as I said to Nora, she loves uh, taking in strays. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I felt more like um with all of the stuff happening like in Shadowheart's story with her like working th- working through She's all She's working her- through some shit. I I yeah. saw I saw the like 
the thing with her and the night song, you know, when I was watching Nora play and she has got some shit going on <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I just didn't really feel like it was that like you as the romantic partner are like taking some sort of action in relation to those things. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't really feel like um, that integrated into the <laughs> that integrated into the romance. I don't know. Neve's on her third crane, uh, <laughs> so we can. Uh, yeah, the, the other we thing I'll probably say, wrap up soon. <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, one thing I did really enjoy. Uh, so, like I said, I'm, I'm doing a dark urge playthrough, mm-hmm. but. Before I even like started playing the game, uh, I I found out that Bard was a class, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh fuck yeah! Like I'm playing Bard. That was the first thing me going into the game, <laughs> and then it pops up and it's like the character selection screen, going through the characters, and I'm like, what the hell is Dark Urge? Uh, and the whole backstory, <laughs> Neve, if you don't know, uh, it gives you a little prompt, and it's like, you don't know who you are. Uh, like, but you feel there's something in your, in your mind and like, yeah, you have like extreme urges to kill. I've watched some of act one where, um, so Nerissa, Callie, Kiara and Bibu were playing it together, but it was also extremely chaotic. Yeah. Um, like intensely chaotic. Nora um, and I, just two people playing together because we did some yeah. local co-op. There is chaos. Uh, yeah. And then that that playthrough has basically ended because everybody who wanted to keep playing Baldur's Gate 3 were like, I want to play it where I can actually interact with the characters because when you have a party of four, you can't. Right. Because um, yeah. you're supposed to have the party there instead of the other people that you're playing with. Uh-huh. I could see how it would be a fun thing for like you come back and you play the game again or something. But it, yeah, it seemed like everybody was like, yeah. we would prefer to just do this solo. Um, and so then Narissa did a dark urge run, but I did not watch much of that because she was doing like eight to 12 hour a day streams oh, wow. when she did it. Um, I have it in my like watch Cute. later list, but it's like at the bottom because it's like the last <laughs> thing I'm going to get to where I'm just like truly out of YouTube to watch. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I also she's just talks a lot about Baldur's Gate 3. So I've heard a lot about Baldur's Gate 3 and Dark Age and the mm-hmm. plot and Okay. Um Balshbon. So yeah. Githyanki. Don't don't spoil it, Autumn. <laughs> uh but yeah, so I'm like I, I didn't know any of the uh any of what was going on with it, but I'm like I'm going to role play Bard really hard. So I'm like in the game and I'm like, yeah, I'm a bard. Like I'm this happy go lucky, like bard. And I'm just bringing levity and joy and like, blah, blah. Like, let me play my songs. And then just like, occasionally it's just like, I want to fucking kill. (laughs) 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 It's just like out of nowhere. Uh, So I, I I had a lot of, uh, I got a lot of amusement out of that. Uh, and then it, it evolves and it's like, oh, you're this like horrific, uh, like serial killer. <laughs> uh, and your whole past is just like, you know, you've murdered all of these people and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like this wrong. bard. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The- I just like saying that word. <laughs> I, I will say, um, 
Because I don't, I don't know if it's a thing that you get when you do the Dark Urge, where you can, like, have, like, blood-splattered face all the time or whatever. Oh, but no, I, that's just, like, okay. a thing. Like, every time I leave combat and just have a normal conversation with, like, a shopkeeper, my character is covered in blood. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't... I think Nerissa intentionally never washed it off or whatever, if there's some option to do that. Um, if you, like, step into water, it will, like, wash it off. And basically, every time you long rest, it washes it off. Okay. Yeah. Well, she very often just had the blood splatter, and it became a thing for the darker run, and so she requested fan art of herself splattered in blood. Um, and just the fan artists don't know how to draw horny blood splatter art. They were all so bad at Ooh. it. <laughs> Sounds like you gotta step in here. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta uh, exercise the... the old art muscles. Yeah. yeah, we need the expert on horny blood splatter. Just watch the hunger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, well, yeah, that's all my uh, all my my thoughts on Baldur's. Well, not all, but for now. So Neve doesn't go uh, go on folding cranes. Uh, I kind of wanted to talk about Alan Wake, but maybe I'll just try to muscle my way into the next journal updated episode because I feel like. We're almost two hours into this podcast, and all of us are, like, sleepy, so maybe we just move on to, to Barry Linden from here. You, like, actually start the podcast proper? Yeah, I, I'm going to, oh like, gosh. introduce us. This is us. the longest uh, non-homophobia zone that wasn't us just doing non-homophobia yeah. zone as the podcast. That was my idea. Yeah, okay. That was that was my plan as soon as I realized none of us have <laughs> watched movies this week. Uh, so people will just truly enjoy seeing the... Oh, uh, Bella Lugosi's dad is starting, and how much is left on that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love our hour and 40 minute epilogue to the podcast. <laughs> mm. Um, Nia, would you be so kind as to mark this? Release your heart with mine. Let your sleeping. Soul take flight, take me through the night Down, down, down by the river Down, down, down by the river Hanging moon in fog Miss will lead where you belong Sweep
Wait, Narissa, come here. Eh? Don't, don't you want to meet a nice elf man? <gasps> I do. I do want to meet a nice elf man. Come over here. Will he join my team and help me? Yeah. He'll do a lot of things if you want him to. Uh, that sounds... <laughs> more, more than one thing, Okay. if you really want him to. <laughs> okay, walk walk up the hill, Narissa. Walk up the hill? Here? Yeah. Go, go meet him. Go meet him. <laughs> I'm scared. Go meet him. <laughs> go, just go Whoa. talk to him. I don't see anyone. Frog. Keep going. Just keep walking. Yeah, keep going. How big will it be? Oh, I see a man. Yeah, Asterian? go talk to the man. Does it follow me? Yeah. <gasps> I got a cute frog! Let's go! He's got a brain thing okay. cornered. In the grills. Ah! You can kill it, can't you? Uh, like your grills are so fast. Oh, cute. You can't look at anything. <laughs> um. For a kind soul. What are we doing right now? Oh, you're listening. Okay. Oh, that was so based of Marissa right there. He wants to kill me. Oh. He does that. What? Let's see this part. Oh, good luck. <laughs> Am I gonna and fucking die? That's no, you got a 20! You got a 20! The to goes to death! Oh. Why yeah. is he trying to kill he me? Money. He's playing hard to get, Narissa. He's playing hard to get. But about whilst I was trapped in that pot. Oh, fuck off, man. Tell him how it is. <laughs> um, this is chaotic. I like it, though. Why does he think we belong to them? You We're obviously good people. Your mind we share a brain cell. Out of unfamiliar eyes, <laughs> dark, <busy> so focused. <laughs> whatever they did, whatever they put in us. No, he's annoying. He's... Let's go! Shunibyu. Whatever just happened. The typical D&D slash World of Darkness vampire. Is, mm -hmm. is he even a vampire? Yeah, no, he's a vampire. Look at those teeth. Yeah. Um, you just gotta, gotta learn. I'm out of wine and flowers. Oh, looks very much like one. Also, he reminds me of Victor. Vic. Yeah. Victor. Good old Vic. Yeah. But a little bit less obnoxious still. Yeah, true. <laughs> um... Is that so? We clearly move in different <laughs> Wow! Why? I want to punch man. this guy in the face. Excuse me. Yeah, let's beat him up, ladies. He's like Bernie. No. GTA 4. Can I kick him out? I don't want to talk to him anymore. <laughs> Why did you guys make me do this? <laughs> I thought you'd like him. No. I don't like asshole men. I like evil men, not <laughs> oh, asshole men. Oh, what's the difference? Uh, the big difference. Big difference. Mm. <laughs> no words mm. Yeah, kick him out. <laughs> no thanks. Uh. Uh. Yeah? <laughs> it won't let me say do what you want. I'm leaving. <laughs> Don't. That's fucking hilarious. Is it gonna make you send him to the camp? I don't know. I don't want him though. Base for trying. Base for trying. I just keep thinking. I just keep thinking about shit. You know what I mean? I just keep thinking about shit I shouldn't be thinking about. Which is to say, I keep thinking about Asterion. Because I've been playing Baldur's Gate and I really am fucking enjoying it. Okay? But I've also been doing my own solo run. Okay? 
and I, I forgot that I definitely was one of those girls who was really into Twilight. Okay, I, I was really into Twilight like a long time ago, like when it came out. Okay, I know that is so cringy. I know that is so cringy, but I need you guys just to stick with me. There, were, there was something about Twilight that just got me. Okay, there's something, there's something about vampires in general that just really gets to me. I don't know what it is. I'm not Team Jacob, Team Edward all the way. I don't know why he is so toxic and awful, but I just, is chef's kiss. Vampire boy, absolutely yes. Uh, but anyways, so on to Asterian. Look, uh, it, it really got to me when he was like about to bite my neck and then like I let him. And then like I, something about that made my carnal instincts uh, like go off. And suddenly I've, I've been crazy about him ever since. Like every single night I'm like, you can feed on me if you want tonight, Asterian. And I wake up with a fucking debuff. I wake up with a fucking debuff every single goddamn time, but I can't stop myself. <laughs> I can't stop myself. I'm letting him drink my blood. <laughs> Didn't you guys feel it last night too? When we were playing Ari, Ari's uh, village? When when she cut my hand, I was like, ugh. And then she started drinking my blood, and suddenly I was so down bad. I was already down bad for Dimitrescu, but I was very down bad when she started sucking my blood. There's just something about there's just something about that that makes me atrociously, atrociously down bad. <laughs> Guys, are any of you a vampire? Would you like to suck my blood, please? I'm begging you. I'm actually on my hands and knees begging. <laughs> That's that's my point. Okay, I have a problem. I yeah, Mel Senpai. I can't tell. I can't go into her DMs and say that she'll think I'm a freak. None of you JP bros better clip this. I don't need her. I don't need people to know this about me. <laughs> I don't need the Japanese fandom to know the, the weird things I've said today. <sighs> but yeah, basically, I I apparently have a thing for vampires. I don't know why, but I just there's something about them. There's je ne sais quoi. You know what it is. It's just, it's just great. It's great. I love it. It, it makes me, it makes me feel things, you know, it makes me feel things. So, <laughs> uh, uh. so yeah, I really like Asterian is, is my point. I like Asterian a lot. Uh, he's great. I really like Dimitriscu a lot. I do not want to fight her. I just want to let her drink my blood whenever she wants. Same with... Uh, I, I, I don't... I, I have a problem. I have a problem. I'm so glad that vampires are probably not real. Apart from Mel Senpai. Like, you know, like, I'm never going to, like, encounter, like, a vampire like that. Like, the ones in media, I guess, is a better way to put it. You know what I mean? Send me, send me straight, send me straight somewhere. Yeah, but I, I don't know. So I've been having a lot of fun in the game. But every day I am bloodless. <laughs> every day I'm fucking bloodless in Baldur's Gate. And I, it sucks. It sucks because I'll get a perfect dice roll. And then I'll just have to watch it minus one. All because I decided to let Asterion drink my blood. Even though I don't, it's, I don't even get a cutscene. There's not even a cutscene. 
just the fact that I know that it's happening is enough. 